Today on the Topping Show, Vivek Ramaswamy has a plan to protect kids from social media. It gets 3.2 million views. You have Trump's rap song goes viral. Bud Light sales are in and they are down yet again. Twitter is now recording everything. Call of Duty AI is recording everything and banning users. You have Disney being sued by investors. You have a book coming out called Her Body Can that glorifies childhood obesity. You have bar school sports cutting about 25% of their staff. Alice Cooper is losing a makeup brand for standing up for kids. House Democrats want to ask banks, what about the $32 billion you pledged for racial equity? And you have Chris Christie saying he's a fighter, but gets ratioed in seconds. Russia's deploying some nukes. You have Ford making an offer to the United Auto Workers. Dodge may have an ice charger. Walgreens CEO is stepping down. Ikea comes out with a store layout that's logical and the fans revolt. You have JCPenney coming out with a $1 billion reinvestment plan. Walmart is launching a Gordon Ramsay frozen food line. And Kia has a recall because you literally cannot escape. All of that and much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder released twice a day. Gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner and need a little assistance, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also, we're trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of the month, so if you click that button, I'd greatly appreciate it. Now, going on to the business part of the podcast, you have Dodge. They may, they may just have an internal combustion engine offering for the Charger. Now, after decades of great profits and huge fan enthusiasm of making American muscle, you have the Charger, the Challenger, with V8 engines and a manual transmission, a rare feat in and of itself. All that joy is unfortunately coming to an end as the government's cracked down on emissions while turning a blind eye to other countries that contribute a majority to the emissions. Let's focus on hurting Americans here. So we were previously told all the chargers are gonna be electric and they thought they were gonna be cute by saying, well, you could charge your charger. Marketing F minus, Dodge, marketing F minus. Now, there is a little bit of hope. The hope is coming from a Motor One article, and this report is claiming that the Dodge Charger Daytona will be, yes, that will be EV only, but there may be several Daytona trims with various power outputs, including the top-ranging trim line called the Banshee, and that states that the Charger nameplate will live alongside the Daytona picking, getting an internal combustion engine. Now. Again, these are all, it's from a forum, an enthusiast forum, and again, there's nothing official from Stellantis Chrysler, but apparently it may be getting a twin turbocharged three liter inline six engine. So six pistons punching away. Now, of course, I know what you're thinking. I thought the thing, same thing myself. To have that not be a V8, where it used to have a thousand horsepower with you know the last Charger Challengers coming off the assembly line with a stick shift. I, I know, I know. And the inline six is very disappointing in comparison. However, the inline six engine has done some great things throughout history. I think perhaps the best brand that's utilized the inline six engine, at least for performance wise, would be BMW. They've made great vehicles around the internal combustion engine with a straight six. And Chrysler has re-engineered, rather they put in, they've been investing heavily into the straight six engine for their Jeep Grand Wagoneer. And they're also rumored that they might put it in the Dodge Ram pickup, which Again, different, and I would also argue better than an EV, but again, I guess, unfortunately in this case, beggars can't be choosers, though I did still highly recommend writing to the actual executives at these auto companies, 
as well as your appropriate government officials and leaders telling them, hey, this is not a good long-term solution for the environment. You're also going to hurt us, but unfortunately, they probably don't care. Now, they claim that this inline-six engine will produce 510 horsepower, which would be nice because that is more than the current-gen charger, and, except for, of course, the Hellcat and the Dodge Demon, the, the tops. But 510 is pretty darn good, so there's a little hope there. And, of course, you know me, they better have three pedals and a manual transmission. Every, every muscle car should have that by default. Like, if I was an auto executive, I, yeah, it would be... I would tell the fans, if you want this beautiful vehicle, you should learn to enjoy it how it's meant to be driven with a stick shift, the manual transmission, three pedals. And you'll have to work up to it, train a little bit, push yourself to improve a skill set so you can really enjoy the car as it's meant to be. But for, for now, I digress. Other interesting business news, you have Walgreens CEO stepping down. Now, it looks like Roseland Brewer is leaving the company after only serving for about three years as chief executive officer. Previously, she came from Starbucks and she'll be, at least temporarily, replaced by the board member Ginger Graham, which is no relation to a Graham Cracker. That would have been, I mean, the Graham Cracker heiress, perhaps. But no, I was going to say, no, no coincidence. I did a little research. That will be the interim CEO while they search for a long-term successor. And it'll be interesting, although not too surprising, to see why the CEO failed. Now, this is actually just a couple weeks after the CFO, the chief financial officer, left the company as well. Now... I'm not sure why they hired these people to begin with. They certainly didn't turn the company around. And considering the environments of, you know, the government shut down the pandemic, a lot of Americans were looking for health alternatives. They still need to buy their drugs and all that kind of stuff. One would think that company would do pretty damn good considering it's a pharmaceutical-based company. Or they, you know, it's a distributor for pharmaceutical and all the accessories. So I would have thought they'd be doing great. But their stock is perhaps only worth second to Disney in terms of abysmal performance. In the past five years, their stock has lost 64.97%. That's terrible. Now, over the past year, it's lost 32.23%. Now, year to date, they've lost 35.8%. In the past six months, they've lost 32.17%. And in the past month, they've lost 19.26%. So needless to say, they failed epically. And it's not too surprising that the CEO is being pushed out. And of course, the most cliche thing in corporate America, she, lay, she, you know, she did a long post on LinkedIn saying, so proud to work with the company and the, all the good we did. Well, you clearly didn't do enough good to keep the company doing great. So it is kind of cliche. They always say this and they go, oh yeah, I'm going to go spend more time with the family, which again, another cliche of corporate America. It's just a nice way of saying this person failed epically and they're no longer going to be working here. So it'll be interesting to see who takes over the reins at Walgreens, but they certainly need to turn around plan. And they used to be one of the most successful companies that I've ever read about, actually. Interestingly enough, I just finished a book called Good to Great. It's a fantastic book. And I actually look at, I believe, 10 to 13 companies that did exponentially better than the competition throughout the years. And, you know, a lot of companies do good, but very few actually do great. And Walgreens actually was one of the highlights of the book. So I know the book, I believe, was published maybe five, seven years ago. So it's a little unfortunate to see what was a shining example of exceptional business acumen and execution is now pretty much rudimentary and mediocre to say the least. So it'll be interesting to see where Walgreens go from here, but thankfully I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not, a, I'm not going to tell you you should invest or anything like that, but 
And just to say, I'm glad I didn't invest because I would have lost a lot of money on that stock. And personally, I'd rather just reinvest in myself, AKA the business that I own or the businesses that I own. But that's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but 40 year hyperinflation, gotta go up to three cents. Though it is still free to click that subscribe button. Other interesting business news, you have Ikea. They actually changed their store layout and people are pissed. Now, it's one of those things where you don't always, you shouldn't always listen to the customer. And I say that because it reminds me, it's kind of reminiscent of Henry Ford back in the day. And perhaps one of the most greatest automotive and I would say business minds of, our, of I was gonna say, the past couple hundred years, he famously came out with the Ford Model T and really revolutionized the assembly line, thereby bringing the price point down per vehicle exponentially, also making them reliable. Times have changed. But it's one of those fascinating things where someone always asked Henry Ford, how important, because he used to say, you can have any Ford you want as long as it's black. And someone asked him, like, shouldn't you listen to the consumer? You know, shouldn't you take more critical feedback? And he actually did have a point. He said, if I were to give the consumer what they asked for, I would not have made a car. I would just made another horse-drawn carriage. So his whole philosophy was, he's going to create, very similar to Apple. They, you don't see them doing a lot of customer feedback, customer surveys. Their idea, at least when Steve Jobs was a leading company, is they're going to, they're going to come out with the latest and greatest thing, the thing that customers have not even thought of yet. So it's certainly an interesting business idea. And with IKEA for years, it's a cliche. Everyone complains about the store layout. It's basically a maze and it's so complex, many people get lost. And it's actually so complex and so hard to navigate. And apparently the security is not the best. There's a whole web series that was filmed inside of an IKEA. It's hilarious. It's a, I believe it's about 10, 15 years ago. It's actually on YouTube for free. It's called IKEA Heights. So a whole mini series, uh, it was like a romantic drama and these guys shot it and there's just shot all in an Ikea. And because the place is so big and complex, Ikea never even knew. And Ikea later, subsequently a couple years ba uh, later found out and they actually joked like, you should have just asked us, we would have said you could do it. But it, that's how complex this is. You actually shoot a whole series for YouTube and no one's gonna know. And to me, that's kind of the charm of it. You, it's quirky, it's weird. Of course, it's famously Swedish. They got the horse meatballs. They've got all the quirky things you possibly want, the furniture that you can buy and assembly that'll last maybe 24 months. Now, personally, you know, I like to make my own furniture that'll last, shoot, 100, 100 years maybe? It's 100, I mean, the wood is already 150 year old antique barn wood. And then the epoxy will last, will shoot forever. But nevertheless, I know most people like, you know, entry level price points and Swedish does have some cool looking stuff in terms of the architectural design. But for years, everyone said, hey, this is so complex, it's annoying. And Ikea made the mistake, they listed the customer. So recently Ikea has been opening up more stores in urban areas where inherently you're gonna have less square footage because you know it's higher density of people, land is more expensive. So for the same budget that you would normally have a giant store, you're gonna have a smaller store with less square footage. Makes sense. So they thought, you know what? Everyone keeps telling us it's so complex. We're actually gonna go out, we're gonna make it streamlined. So they got rid of the maze. They got rid of the complexities. And of course, everyone hated it. Now, they actually had interviews and surveys where customers said they wanted the quote, guiding hand of store design, not what the chain believed was the freedom to pop in and out of the stores casually. And I, interesting enough, they're now, they're now listening and they're redesigning the city of store floor plans and signage to make it more like the original stores. 
Because again, that's one of the most unique things about Ikea. It's what makes it a very quirky, fun, and interesting place to go to. It's a whole experience. You don't go there every day. I mean, when I, my family used to go, shoot, decades ago, it's like once every couple of years, it was like, it was a whole venture, it was a trip. You're, you're out on an adventure to go to Ikea and get some random Swedish crap. So it'll be interesting to see how they do. And actually, now that I looked at my notes, the YouTube series is actually called Ikea Heights. It actually debuted in 2009. And it's got a couple of million hits. It's a hilarious show. I definitely tell you to check it out after the show, of course. Other interesting business news, you have JCPenney revealing a $1 billion reinvestment into upgrading their stores and e-commerce. Now, it looks like the self-funded reinvestment plan of $1 billion will be about customer value proposition aimed at enhancing the long-term growth and cultivating the heightened customer loyalty and frequency, which is, which is a kind of corporate speak for saying, we lost touch with the customer. We need to get a hold of this customer again, figure out how do we make it a long-term relationship and fix all the blunders that we've had for years. Now they claim it's going to be a three-prong approach and they're going to highlight value, help store shoppers stretch their dollar. And the chain and it's approximately 650 stores will also get a new look and feel, more efficient point of sale systems, upgraded store Wi-Fi. And it looks like so far about hundred of the stores have gotten the upgrades, which will be good. That is one of the most annoying things if you go to a store and the checkout system is from you know, 10, 20 years ago and it's taking you minutes to actually ring someone up in a time and age where we have technology moving so quick, even seconds can sometimes feel long. Now, it looks like on the digital side, JCPenney is aiming for a more streamlined customer experience with better search capabilities, product details, and a website and app that will offer more customized product and styling recommendations, which will be It'll be interesting. I don't know anyone who actually has ever downloaded a JCPenney app or anyone who has ever asked for that, but that might be an interesting idea. And JCPenney also said they're gonna launch a new brand campaign called, quote unquote, make it count. Interesting enough, which the company said will encourage customers to, to quote, make the most of life's moments, both large and small, unquote. Which I, I guess that's a weird, It'll be interesting to see if they could turn things around. I mean, to me, JCPenney is awesome because they gave me a suit for $79.99 in Iowa, shoot, 20 years ago, and it still fits, still works great. Like, when I think of JCPenney, I always think of the budget, you know, entry-level suit that guys go to. If a guy needs your first suit, you go to JCPenney. Or if you're trying to date and you're trying to look around and try to find a classy gal, you try to find a JCPenney gal, which is a nice way of saying classy. There are certain, they have a long history. They've been around for 121 years, but they've also had several CEOs make business blunders where they actually lost touch with the customers. A couple of years back, you had a CEO of Apple, actually, or an executive of Apple, go to be the CEO of JCPenney and subsequently shoot themselves in the foot multiple times by pretty much ostracizing their current customer base, where the current customer base, if you look at who shops at JCPenney, it's mostly, I wanna say, maybe women in their 30s to 40s, so moms, and they love the coupon cutters. And back in the day, they actually got rid of the coupons and they tried to turn it into an Apple store, which is terrible. People buy an iPhone every couple of years or whatever people used to buy, uh, let's see, iPads, all that kind of stuff. They don't really care if there's a coupon for an iPad, they're gonna buy it regardless because they're Apple fans. For clothing, people love coupon cutting. They love searching for a deal. So it'll be interesting to see if they get back to that. When I say make it count as a campaign, I don't know if they're, because again, they have a, they have a very large portfolio of products that they've carried throughout the years, but I still think of them as a 
for, first and foremost a clothing company, it'll be interesting to see, I mean, they're gonna try to correlate to different life events that you have to wear certain fancier clothes to, but the odds are against them just because there's so much competition right now, and especially from overseas, you have a Timu, it's a Chinese-based app company where they are, they and Shimu, a couple of app companies are actually partnering with, what was it, Forever 21? They bought 20, no, one-third of their stock last week. So there's a lot of foreign investment, and of course, you know, most of these clothing is made in China and other countries. So if the headquarters are already over there, there's a lot of advantages to that. Let me in the comments, when's the last time you shopped at JCPenney? Do they have, again, the real, the biggest issue with any retail, with any category, whether you're selling bottles of root beer, rifles, soccer balls, shoes. The number one thing for retail is get someone in the door. That's number one, that's, you know, day one, most important thing in retail. What are they gonna to do to really incentivize people to physically go to the stores where they're gonna spend more money than they do online? And I, I'm not sure what they can do because there's so many places you can go and buy clothing and now I know men's warehouse throughout the years, men's warehouse has decreased the price point, especially. So I know a lot of my friends who are buying entry level suits, they're actually going to men's warehouse now for that particular clothing category. And you have DSY, there's a shoe company as well that does it. So let me know in the comments, do you have a compelling reason to go to JCPenney right now? Upgrading the infrastructure will surely help in terms of the Wi-Fi and this checkout system. So it'll be more seamless when you actually go for a shopping experience. But again, I wanna know what are the specifics behind their ideas to get people in the door? Because that's gonna be the, one of the most prominent things they do, need to do to succeed. And it is nice to see the company getting back on its feet. They went bankrupt actually to a mall, a mall holding company and they are back in their, their signature headquarters over in Plano, Texas. And actually it's on the shelf still. I did buy the book um, that JCPenney, Mr. JCPenney actually founded the company. I actually bought his book a couple weeks back and need to read it. It'll be interesting to see how do they, how do they regain all those customers and how they hit a growth spurt. It'll be interesting to see. Let me know in the comments, when was the last time you shopped at JCPenney? Do you miss them? And then what would it take for you to go back there? And what what, do you, what are you looking for in a JCPenney shopping experience? I mean, personally, if I were someone who actually would buy clothes, which I don't, I usually, I always say buy one suit and last it forever. Because if you buy a good suit, it lasts forever, take care of it. But if I were to go to JCPenney, what would I need? It'll be interesting to see, but I wish them the best and I hope they do have some great growth. Now, other interesting business news, you have Walmart launching a Gordon Ramsay frozen food line. I was about to say crikey, but that's Australian. What would Gordon Ramsay sound like? Angry British yelling at people. Ah, I should've done my hair. Lost opportunity, oh well. Now, it looks like they have an exclusivity contract, so the only place you can get frozen food with Gordon Ramsay is at Walmart, which the line is going to be called Buy Chef Ramsey, which I'd say B plus for marketing. It tells you exactly who it's about and it tells you what it is. And they say it's going to be because of the exclusivity contract, it's only going to be sold at Walmart. So that's a win for Walmart because, again, just talking about a couple seconds ago with JCPenney, one of the number one things in the retail is getting people an incentive to go to the store. If you had an exclusivity contract, if you have a fan or someone who loves Golden Ramsey, there's one store you can get his frozen food at it's Walmart. So very smart idea locking it in. You actually had Kroger do the same thing a couple of weeks back. They partnered with someone called, what was it? Uh, late night loaded taco Doritos. So that's their thing. 
at Carver. Interesting. Now, it looks like it'll consist of eight different meals, all of which will only take minutes to heat and serve, and they'll be nationwide carried at Walmarts. Now, it looks like the frozen meals from Ramsey includes British staples like shepherd's, shepherd's pie and fish and chips. Other meals include a four-cheese lasagna, macaroni bake, mushroom risotto, chicken pot pie. Okay, there's one. Lemon caper chicken. All right. And slow roasted beef with potatoes, which, okay. I, it's one of those things where I'm shocked. I, in terms of marketing and branding, when I think of Gordon Ramsay, it makes perfect sense for him to do a licensing agreement, or I don't know if he himself actually owns a business that manufactures it, but I know he has relationships with cooking gear. And you know, high-end stuff that's you know not entry level, it's a premium price product. But to go in the frozen food section, it seems like the antithesis of Gordon Ramsay. He's all about using the best ingredients, the best food on the planet. And when it comes to frozen food, it's kind of cliche. It's a giant hunk of salt. Not all the time, but more often than not, maybe it's just me, but I have a pejorative connotation when it comes to frozen food. I never think yum, delicious, fresh. Even vegetables, when you buy them frozen, it, it just doesn't seem the same. And maybe I'm an elitist because I actually know, I, I was about to say, I buy. When I'm fortunate in the position, I do buy organic um, vegetables at the Walmart, but I usually just buy the fresh fruits and vegetables. But when it comes to frozen food, I can't help but think this will maybe pull his brand down or the brand perception of Gordon Ramsay down a little bit. I mean, his whole brand is premium. His whole life is critiquing people, calling them a-holes and calling their food terrible and unedible. I, I can't fathom this being great for him long term. I mean... It's Walmart, so they're going to get a huge, unprecedented volume of sales. And depending on how involved he is in this, he should be able to have a fair amount of quality assurance. But at the end of the day, it's still a frozen food item. Let me know in the comments. Do you think it's going to be a good idea for Gordon? Or do you think it's going to be bad for his long-term brand? It'll be interesting to see. But as I always say, time shall tell. Now, going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have... The Trump rap song has dropped, and it is a hit almost immediately. Now, this is actually an AI-generated song, and it was actually made by a gentleman who is, of course, a rapper. And it looks like it within a couple days, it hit number two on the iTunes charts. Now, this rapper is by the name of High Res, which is disappointing if you actually look at his videos on YouTube. They're not 8K resolution. It's not High Res. If anything, I think it's 1080p, which, eh, I mean, that's so 1999. What's 1080p? 2010? Nevertheless, it's not 4K like this. Now, it looks like High Res, the rapper, describes himself as a radical freedom extremist, and he released a song one day after Trump posted his August 24th mugshot on X, formerly Twitter, and some of the rap lyrics are, I'm gonna beat, and again, I apologize, this grammar is... It begs something to be had, but it is I'ma, which I did Google the, the Urban Dictionary. I'ma means I'ma going to, kind of like the Italians, I'ma going into. Maybe it's an Italian, no, 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 I digress, it's not. So I'ma beat them Rico charges, and if I go to prison, you can't do me like the Clintons. I'll be laid up eating steak with Secret Service chilling. Now it goes on to say, these, DZ, these DAs acting silly, my mugshot be worth a billy. Good poetry. Sold some merch and made a milli. He technically did. And it's 
sounds pretty damn close to Donald Trump. And it looks like within a, only a couple hours, it got 3 million views on Twitter, 30,300 likes, and we'll give him not the best ratio, but still 1.01% is pretty good. And I apologize, that is actually within, not, not within one day, it's within seven days. And it's fascinating to see everyone loves this song. And they use his, uh, of course, they use his mugshot as a, the album art. And it's fascinating to see from a cultural perspective, locking up Trump, or I guess in this case, charging him with all these unprecedented, literally unprecedented charges where, you know, many other politicians did the exact same, exact same thing. Again, technically they were both illegal, of course, but he's the one that's getting charged, interestingly enough. And culturally speaking, it's become viral. And there's, I think, again, I think they're, again, let me know if, in the comments, these types of cultural phenomenons where you have these raps and you're building this music and these arts, it actually does shift the politics. And I think you're going to see maybe a couple more people in the middle, politically speaking, who previously felt alienated with the police justice system. And maybe some people that relate to Trump thinking, well, I know someone who got put away on trumped up charges, pun moderately intended. Well, I see Trump, he's getting charged with these improper handling of sensitive files or classified documents. Well, wait a minute, Mike, did, Mike Pence did that. Hillary Clinton did that. Obama did that. Biden did that. But they're only going after Trump. That, that doesn't seem equal at all. So I think culturally speaking, this is going to help, even though Trump didn't make the song, this type of fandom around him, you're seeing a big cultural shift. I mean, a couple of years ago, all the media in terms of arts and lyrics, most of them were pejorative against Trump. I mean, famously you have Eminem dissing Trump on the regular, but fascinatingly enough, more and more people seem to be shifting a little bit. And I can't help but think this will, sh I'll, let me know in the comments, how much will this shift the polls for the presidential primaries or the Republican nominee primaries? 1%, 2%? I, I suspect it won't be an insignificant amount of people who are seeing these and are attracted to the messaging and the symbolism behind it. But that's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but 40 year hyperinflation, gotta charge, should charge four, but I'm a, gen I'm a generous man. I should charge four cents, but only three cents today. No, it's just still, still free to click that subscribe button. And if this is the worst trip impression, give it a thumbs up, as I would say, or leave a comment. I apologize, that is perhaps painful for many people's ears, but the attempt had to be made, I'm sorry. Now, other interesting cultural news, you have Twitter, new terms and conditions, they now record everything. Now, this is perhaps the complete antithesis of what Elon Musk portrayed himself as. Um, it's the exact opposite, simply put. Elon was saying, oh yeah, I'm all about free speech, all about protecting the consumer privacy, and a lot of people were skeptical. There are a lot of people who are hopeful just because in a hopeless society, you always try to look for a little bit of hope. When every other tech company on the planet seemingly harvests their data and nauseum, just, just one company even pretending for a second to say, we're not going to data mine you to death. I think a lot of people believed, believed Elon. Now, this is ridiculous to say the least and also confirms some of the paranoia. And I always say to people, I'm not paranoid. I just work in IT security. So I know what goes on. Now, it looks like they're going to harvest your, your bio data, including fingerprint, face recognition, eye tracking, keystroke patterns, and more. Now, the most BS thing of all time, pretty much every 
law that I can think of. Actually, every law that takes away your rights, I always roll my eyes so much it almost hurts my eyes when they say, we're doing it for your protection. Bullshit. Pardon the French, but that is just, no, it's for control. It's so they can take away your rights, your freedom. And it's usually regulated to politicians, more and more now in the business sector. In this case, Twitter's claiming that they're doing this for safety reasons. That's a, that's a quote, safety reasons. How? How is you knowing my fingerprint going to increase your, my safety? I, I'm waiting, Twitter. Uh, of course, it won't. And that is perhaps a um, passive-aggressive diss at Twitter. I know they're trying to be called X now. Maybe I'm going to, just for spite, I'll call them Twitter. Yeah, take that, Elon. I'm kidding, he doesn't give a damn. But they're saying it's for safety purposes. Ridiculous. Now, interestingly enough, the only use case, the only one where this might make sense is if you're a VIP. If you have plus a million followers on Twitter and you're someone who is consistently attacked from a cybersecurity perspective, as well as physical, but if you're someone who has a high probability of someone trying to hack your account because you're a public figure, then this makes sense. Famously, Matt Walsh, a conservative media um, outspoken civil rights advocate, founder of the SPG, or also known as the Sweet Baby Gang, I can't say more, but he also made the famous documentary, What is a Woman?, where he asked that age-old question, and which most Americans now actually don't know what that is. Now, Matt Walsh was famously hacked a couple months ago. Someone was able to successfully hack his Twitter, and then they started tweeting, pretending to be him. A huge cybersecurity fail on Twitter's part. Now, if you're someone who has a high propensity for being cyber attacked, then it might make sense to have an extra security feature. Not all these things, but then it might make sense to have like a fingerprint span or something else. That I would believe. If they said, we're going to do this only if you have, I don't know, like 2 million subscribers on, or uh, followers on Twitter, or you're a public figure, figure, you're a government official, that I might understand. But like, there's zero reason for this to happen to my account. I have like 230 followers. Although I appreciate all of them, and hey, give me a follow, I appreciate it, at N-I-C-T-O-P-P-I-N-G. Or if you just search topping, you'll see me with a little microphone in the awesome suit that I always wear. But there would be no, there's no legitimate reason for them to know my fingerprint or my face recognition or my keystroke patterns. That's ridiculous beyond all belief. Now, this is also coming after last week when they said they're going to bring back their, what do they call those draconian SOBs, their... Oh yeah, their safety and trust board, which again, in true 1984 fashion is nothing more than a dystopian term for people are going to censor you relentlessly. And I do apologize. And I actually do this. I should do a disclaimer every time I do the show. Do not make that in a drinking game where you actually drink every time I say 1984, because unfortunately modern society has had so many parallels with that book. And in some ways life has become more worse than that book by George Orwell famously. I reference. I find myself referencing it more and more. Now, they brought back that safety board last week, so you know they're going to just completely, completely stifle all counter perspectives. Even my small account, Bud Light banned or um, they blocked me. Now, Elon claims he's going to remove the block feature. That'll be interesting. Now, my three cents. I don't think I should have gotten blocked for just posting a response where all I said was. Thanks for the reminder, Bud Light, to buy more beer. I just bought Yangling. And it was a picture of a case of Yangling cans and a case of Yangling bottles. 
in front of my American flag in the podcast, uh, the interview podcast room. That got me blocked on uh, Twitter from Bud Light. Now, thankfully, the show, I actually have a uh, YouTube, I was about to say YouTube, a Twitter handle for the Topping Show. They didn't block that yet, ironically enough, even though I made the meme with that Twitter account. They actually had the CEO, Brendan Whitworth, actually sitting at a table with the, you know, the fire all around him and the, th- this is fine meme. And at the bottom, I said, you know, $390 million lost in sales. And it was a close-up of his face, and he just smiling, and he said, this is fine. Oddly enough, they didn't ban me for that, interestingly. But it just it actually gets worse. Now, Twitter also said they're going to scrape for job history, education background, and job search activity. Now, I know Elon is trying to make this an everything app, and perhaps this is why he's doing this. But this also isn't why we were... This is why any of us supported Elon. Many of us, including myself, made the great sacrifice of giving him $8 a month, which is like one gallon of gas in California. Burn, California. That was a burn. Although, like your fuel, it doesn't burn efficiently at all because their fuel is bastardized. It actually is lower quality fuel than anywhere else in the United States. And it's actually made to their specific requirements. That's why it's more expensive. Even though the greatest state tax on gasoline is Pennsylvania. Interestingly enough. But I digress. It's one of those interesting things where we paid Elon because we believed that he was going to make it a free speech platform. We all thought he's going to get rid of the BS, all the blacklisting. That you're going to get rid of all the mechanisms that hid people's voices from being heard. And then I think the I think the economics didn't add up. He saw the product and loss statement. He was looking at all the people who were paying for Twitter Blue, and that wasn't enough to break even. Which, if that was the case, I wish he would have told us. Maybe, again, if you, there's always more features you can add to any product, and there's a certain point where people pay more. So, it was $8 a month for Twitter Blue. What if you had Twitter Blue Plus? And I know, you know, everyone is getting subscription fatigue. Everything on the planet is, is a monthly subscription service. But if you were to say to us and say, hey, I need X amount of people to pay, you know, I need X amount of subscribers every month either on Twitter Blue or Twitter Blue Plus, here are the numbers we need to be at. And just show us the screen. Give us some transparency. And he, if he were to tell us, we need this many subscribers, otherwise I have to have advertisers. At which point, just because on the very nature of advertising companies, they would have to censor us. And that, unfortunately, I'm guessing there just weren't enough paying subscribers. So he had to acquiesce and go the route of advertising, which is the traditional route for social media companies. And unfortunately, by their very nature, overwhelming majority of advertisers are left-wing, politically speaking. And as this has become a political issue, more often than not, it is people wanting to censor people in the middle and on the right. And I find that morally vacuous and disgusting because we used to be a country where everyone used to believe, I may not agree with what you're saying, but I'll die for your right to say it. Which I would define someone who believes that as American. Unfortunately, nowadays, Fewer and fewer people believe in that. I do hope we get back to that sentiment someday. But another interesting thing about this, the updating these terms and conditions, where are all the people complaining? I don't know if it's coincidence that this just took place after Twitter released the monetization policy, where if you have a certain amount of people who react to your post and you hit a couple of separate different metrics, then you're going to get paid hundreds or thousands of dollars a month. You'll get a commission check which was a brilliant idea to bring more creators to the platform and gives them an incentive to post on Twitter as opposed to the traditional social media where I'm thinking most people are posting to like YouTube, Rumble, 
uh, maybe Facebook, Instagram. But again, there isn't really much backlash. The most the most popular creators, and again, this is it's been a couple days. I'm not seeing them make videos about this. I've seen one or two top creators bring broach this topic, but unfortunately, none of people are ringing the bell, so to say. And I feel if more people knew about this and maybe message Elon directly and just just tell Elon, give us the data. Tell us how many how many paid subscribers do you need to ensure this is a free plat speech platform, a true free speech platform. I'd be more than willing to double my monthly subscription if that's what it would take. And it's something where that might not be a lot to us in terms of you know maybe three or four more dollars a month, but in the aggregate, if you have hundreds of thousands or millions of people doing it, that would, I would think, allow the company to stabilize and then perhaps make a profit so they can grow the company. And I know they have more capabilities. They're gonna have a phone option in a couple of months or weeks actually, where you'll be able to make phone calls on the X app. So as he's trying to transform it to become more of an everything app, part of me suspects he is valuing valuing free speech less and pouring more of a premium on all the other vectors that have to come together and all the things that have to come together to make it an everything app. And unfortunately, I think that's gonna mean just exponentially more censorship. And that's, of course, disappointing and disgusting. Let me know in the comments, do you think, how bad are things gonna get on Twitter? Is it gonna basically become what Twitter used to be back in the day over the previous ownership, where it was just rampant, rampant, deactivating your accounts, blocking people, and just censorship galore. Will it get that bad? Or will it get worse? As now he's trying to put mechanisms to make it a financial institution as well, where he actually wants people to actually make payments on the platform. Where now you have not only just the advertisers, but now you have the financial industry being pulled into the equation as well. And they're gonna want certain quote unquote standards of behavior, I suppose. So it'll be interesting to see if where it goes from here. But let me in the comments, do you think it'll get worse than the original Twitter in regard to free speech? Or will it be about the same? Whether, whatever it's gonna be, I unfortunately I think it will get worse before it gets better. Other interesting culture news, you have Call of Duty now recording everything. And you have AI increasing the censorship and the banning. Wow, I'm such an old soul. I remember the good old days. Back when I was a young, young lad, I don't know, I'm not Irish at all, I'm Cuban, but nevertheless, back when I was a kid, I had to save up my pennies. I went to a pawn shop to buy the Xbox 360. And luckily enough, I was able to get enough money for an Xbox Live subscription and the pinnacle of Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 2. The pinnacle of Call of Duty, the precipice that led to the whole evolution of online gaming with first-person shooter, in my belief. It was the first thing that really, culturally speaking, was a phenomenon. Everyone in my high school had that platform, except that one weird kid who had the PlayStation 3. And he kept saying how it was free for the online play, and we're like, well, yeah, yeah, Nate. You get what you, you, get what you pay for, Nate. You get to play with your one friend in Indiana. No one else is on a PlayStation 3 for the Call of Duty. But I digress. Back in the wild west of that days, you can say anything. And it, that was part of the fun. If you're a teenage boy, you're going to say some pretty outlandish things, just kind of based on the very nature, I would say. And it was a hilarious, no moderators, no censorship, the Wild West. And the, if I can go back and listen to that on a mixtape, I'm sure I'd be horrified, although moderately entertained as well, at some of the things my friends and I used to say. And it was a great thing. But unfortunately, gone all those days.
Now, not to brag too much, but I was, I believe, the 10th percent. So of all, I didn't have the best kill-to-death ratio, but back in Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, I, had, I was one of the most accurate players in the world. I think I had, as in the top 10 percent? No, no, no. 10%? What was it? Ah, it loses me. Apparently not that important. Now, it looks like they are now adding real game, real time in-game voice chat moderation. Moderation is just a fancy word for censorship. AI power detection. And it'll, it'll work in-game and listen and report rule breaking automatically. Oh, geez. So even if you're in a private chat, they're going to ban you. Ridiculous. And as we know, if you ever used a, oh, I was about to say, if you ever called customer support, and unfortunately, I blame many politicians in the United States for many of the issues with, well, business being infected by them, because the minimum wage has been so inflated and non-competitive globally, if you ever call in for customer support, unfortunately, you're going to get a robot or someone in another country. When you get a robot, dear God, the voice recognition is always the worst. I, I can't tell you how many times I've said into the phone, customer support, like trying to get a human on the phone, or just trying to tell, trying to get them to recognize my voice. It's never good. But imagine trying to do that, and now they're going to misinterpret everything you say on Xbox. And of course, there are going to be some errors. Now, this is coming from a reporter, actually a Twitter user, called Charlie Intel. Which, I'd say A-. That's a really good name because it's giving us the Intel. Good marketing. I like that. Now, he says that Call of Duty is taking the next step or next leap forward in his commit. Oh, this is from Call of Duty. You could tell because it, the vernacular is quite posh posh and BS. But today, together we'll cut through the BS to translate it to reality. Now, this is Call of Duty saying, quote, Call of Duty is taking the next leap forward in its commitment to combat toxic and disruptive behavior with in-game voice chat modernization beginning with the launch of Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 in November this November 10th, Activision will team up with Modu team up with Modulate to deliver global real-time voice chat moderation at scale, starting with this fall's upcoming Call of Duty blockbuster. Unquote. It won't be a blockbuster. There are going to be people who protest this, hopefully. They, co they continue to say, Call of Duty's new voice chat moderation system utilizes ToxMod, an AI-powered voice chat moderation technology from Modulate to identify in real time and enforce against toxic speech, including hate speech, discriminatory language, harassment, and more. So, and more is a great cover your ass. Basically, they're going to censor you whether they like you or not. And if you say something they don't agree with, whatever it is, you, wait, you like Pepsi? We're going to ban you because we're a Coke company. They probably won't do that specifically, but the same theory. So yeah, hate speech and more. Harassment and more. What, what's harassment? Now, they say, quote, this new development will bolster the ongoing moderation systems led by the Call of Duty anti-toxicity team. I, I'm trying to think. How much of My mind is nearly blown that there are people whose job is to be at a video game company on an anti-toxicity toxicity team. How useless. Of all the useless jobs I've ever heard of or the jobs that shouldn't exist that do exist, that's up there. It, it, it's up there. They continue to say, which includes text-based filtering systems across 14 languages for in-game text, chat, and usernames, as well as a robust in-game player reporting system. So my old username would surely get censored, I would think. I don't know. Courageous Cuban? I'm sure someone would think that's pejorative. 
They say an initial beta rollout of the voice chat modernization technology will begin in North America on August 30th inside the existing games Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 and Call of Duty Warzone to be followed by a worldwide release excluding Asia. Time to Modern Warfare 3 on November 10th. Support will begin in English with additional language to follow in late at a later date. Since the launch of Modern Warfare 2, Call of Duty's existing anti-toxicity moderation has restricted they're bragging about being tyrannical. Ironic or interesting. Okay, so I'll start over that sentence. Since the launch of Modern Warfare 2, Call of Duty existing anti-toxicity moderation has restricted the view the voice and or text chat of over one million accounts deactivated to have or sorry, detected to have violated the code of duty code of conduct. Consistently updated text and username filter technology has established better real-time rejection of harmful language. The nice way of saying we're going to remove all the fun from the game. Harassment? Right, so now, I'm, let me see here. I believe there's one more text field. Ah, yes. So, well, I say, how does Call of Duty's voice chat moderation, moder, moderation work? Voice chat moderation? Moderation? Brain fart. Uh, is managed and operated by Activision and uses the AI-powered model ToxMod for Modulate. This system is integrated into Call of Duty titles and is managed by Activision. Voice chat is monitored and recorded for the express purpose of modernization. And I'm sure the government will be happy to know that as well because they'll tap on the shoulder and just want more data. And they say, Call of Duty's voice chat modernization system is focused on detecting harm within the voice chat versus specific keywords. Violations of the Call of Duty Code of Conduct are subject to account enforcement. They ask them, does, this is a question, does voice chat modernization enforcement happen in real time? Detection happens in real time, and the system categorizing and flagging toxic language based on the Call of Duty Code of Conduct as it is detected. Detected violations of the Code of Conduct may require additional reviews of associated recordings to identify context before the enforcement is determined. Therefore, actions will actions taken will not be instantaneous. As the systems grow, our processes and responses will evolve in time. Oh, now this is getting interesting. Now, someone actually did ask the logic or the basic question: Does this system ban trash talk from Call of Duty? What do they say? This from Activision. They say, "Quote: The system helps enforce the existing code of conduct, which allows for trash talk and friendly banter." Hate speech, discrimination, sexism, and other t and other types of harmful language, as outlined in the code of conduct, will not be tolerated. So again, this using that catch-all because they're referencing the old thing they just talked about. And then they ask last quick question: Does AI enforcement violate? Does AI enforce violations of the call of the code of conduct it detects? Call of Duty voice chat modernization system only submits and reports about toxic behavior categorized by its type of behavior as a rated level of severely severity based on the evolving model. So again, another BS thing, moving the goalposts constantly to keep the consumer confused. And I suspect so they can ban people arbitrarily however they want. They also say Activision determines how it will enforce the voice chat modernization violations. Ridiculous. So going back to the first post where they talk about what type of language they're banning. They're going to get rid of Language, discriminatory language, harassment, and more. And more. They're going to ban everything. Everything is going to be banned eventually. 
This is definition. This is so reminiscent of 1984 as well as George Wells' other hit, Animal Farm. It's scary. So you're not gonna be able to talk any smack on Call of Duty, which is the most fun part. Now I want to know who the hell is this for? Call of Duty is rated M. Yet you're supposed to be an adult when you buy it. So why the hell are they trying to censor adults? They're trying to bre- trying to break their brains with thought control. We're gonna it is horrifying how much of a dystopian hellhole the world is slowly becoming. And again, that and more, everything they're gonna ban everyone. Well, I should actually to clarify, everyone in the middle or slightly right. They're just gonna censor you, take you off the platform. Now, not to say I was a trendsetter, but I've been boycotting Call of Duty for 10 plus years. Partially because after college I decided, well, wait a minute, I work for a living and on average these days I'm working 105 hours a week, so probably not proved to spend what little time I have playing a video game. So, needless to say, the only video game consoles I have are, well, not analog technology, but they're from the 80s? What was it? The Nintendo NES? No, I guess the NES was 90s. But yeah. If it could be played on a tube TV, that's usually what I prefer in the very rare occasions where I do partake in a video game occasion. So will this be boycotted? I would hope so. This is also coming after a couple weeks where they actually banned a player by the note of Nick Merck for telling people to stop grooming kids and leave the kids alone. There's a huge cultural social media backlash against Call of Duty Activision where most of the comments were pejoratively saying ratioing every, you know, they try to advertise every day with their latest video game or skins, which... It blows my mind, Americans, well, I guess most people, all cultures, they'll pay extra money for to character just to look a little bit different in the video game. It's not a tangible product. They're paying for a skin, which is just pure profit for Activision. But nevertheless, every time Activision actually came out with a new skin or a new commercial every day or several times a day, all the comments would be pejoratively saying, leave the kids alone, leave the kids alone. And they would, of course, try to censor and hide all those comments. And there's a pretty big backlash, and most of the most popular streamers, who really are also, I would argue, the brand ambassadors for the company, they're incentivizing people to buy the product because they're creating entertainment based on that product, and I'm guessing people who tune in and watch those players, and watch these guys on the computers, I guess these days, Xbox and Playstations, they see them playing the game, they presumably they will go out and buy it. And Nick Merck actually had his own skin that people would buy. And people boycotted them at that point, and I can't help but think, there's gonna be a huge backlash. I mean. When are, when are consumers going to say, enough is enough? Leave me the hell alone. Make one product, oh, especially for video games, make, make one, one product and don't make 12 million pieces of DLC or downloadable content where you charge me with all these microtransactions. Yet another reason I prefer cartridge games, you buy once, cry once, you just slam that sucker in, it works. You don't have to wait 20 minutes to download an update. But I digress, that's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but... 40-year hyperinflation, got to go up to three. I, I'm a generous fan. I, I should charge four, but just my three cents today. Other interesting cultural news, you have Disney being sued by investors for claiming that they hid the true cost of streaming. Now, this is coming as the company's stock hit a nine-year low, which, yet again, I was going to say, not only just for moral reasons, but yet another reason I'm glad I don't, I don't usually play the stock market, but I would not invest in Disney. Now, they're looking specifically because of the Disney Plus streaming platform 
And shareholders are accusing Disney, and this is a, a news article thanks to Newsmax, and they're accusing Disney of lying about the extent of its losses to hit lofty subscriber count targets and in claiming the Disney Plus was on track to re achieve a profitability by the end of 2024. Now, it looks like the complaint was filed August 23rd in California Federal District, and it details a, quote, inappropriately shift cost by debuting content created for Disney Plus on legacy platforms to move marketing and production cost. Now, the lawsuit claims that Disney's former CEO, well, talk about being fancy, they spell out his old name, Robert, everyone always called him Bob Chapek, and the current CEO, Bob Iger, and former CFO Christine McCarthy and several other current and former executives as defendants. The suit claims that the executives hid the expenses and, diffi and difficulty of maintaining a subscriber growth as it suffered, quote-unquote, staggering costs to create content. The charge is that in an effort to hide losses, executives decided to air, quote, the mysterious Bendix Society and, quote, Doogie Kamalia MD, which supposedly were to be Disney Plus originals on the Disney Channel, to make the streaming service appear more successful than it actually was. Chapek repeatedly had said that Disney Plus would be profitable by the end of 2024. Yeah, it's not going to happen. A forecast that represented a, quote, astounding threefold increase from prior estimates without any deg degradation in the expected profitability for the segment, unquote. This is according to the lawsuit. Now, it looks like Disney management, quote, materially, materially misrepresented Disney Plus's financial future when it predicted three years ago it expected the service to turn a profit and have 20, 230 to 260 million subscribers by 2024, which that's a huge tall order. You're be at that point you're beating Netflix, and anytime you have technology or any business actually beating the one that's first to market is a very difficult thing. It rarely happens. So they're telling people, oh yeah, we're going to beat Netflix. Mm. No, you're not. Now, it looks like Disney Plus had 146 million subscribers by the end of June this year when Disney reported a $512 million loss on its streaming unit. That according to Forbes. Now, quote, the, Dis the company also reported a decline in its average revenue per Disney Plus subscriber as more customers subscribe through a discounted bundle with the company's other services. That also noted in complaint. They noted that bundling offers made up about 40% of domestic subscribers Ooh, confirming that Disney was lying on short-term promotional efforts to boost subscriber growth while impairing the platform's long-term profitability, unquote. Yeah, that's, that's the issue with a lot of these large companies. It can be beneficial business-wise to have offsets and you can actually have different parts of the business lose money in order to boost other parts of the business. One of the most apt metaphors I usually use is the telecom industry where you have AT&T and Verizon. They can have losses on their cell phone plans because they'll make it up on the back end or they can move the cost around where like when you have a new house they'll sell you cable they'll sell you a, a landline which was actually a house phone back in the day i just dated myself but that's when they way one the way they can move around the cost where their competitors like t-mobile they don't have that ability to move costs around so people will think at&t is cheaper because that one product line is but the other products are more expensive so blended together the company can still do okay. That's a very similar metaphor I use talking about industries, but it looks like this company is just really struggling. And they also reported that after the pandemic that forced Disney to close the theme parks and the movie theaters closed, the company prioritized the streaming and Chapek decided to quote, quote unquote, go all in on the platform. 
Now, just going on, just going all in on the platform, from a business perspective, I actually think that was a prudent business decision. There is an argument that Disney Plus is a good idea. Now, the issue with most Disney ventures these days is the cost. And the cost just is too much, like Marvel films. Marvel films can make money, they have before, but if the cost just to make the damn movie is $500 million, there's no conceivable way you can make a profit. Because again, no matter how much the movie costs, you, have to, you always have to budget about two times that cost for marketing. And then remember, whenever you get the box office or whenever you see box office numbers, that's not what the company gets. That's a split between the movie theaters. So they don't get all of that money. They're getting a percentage of it, albeit a majority of the percentage. But it's one of those instances where you're going to see more and more of these investors start to sue these companies. And I also think you're going to see more companies sue businesses where they're not making, their goal is not to make a profit, is to quote unquote make a difference, also known as activism. It'll be interesting. You actually have someone suing Target right now because of that. With Disney, hiding this cost, which with the data that we currently have, it seems like they have with those bundles. Because again, those bundles aren't, it, it does seem to obfuscate the truth and move the cost around. It is a great way to get subscribers, but you're getting them at a discount. When they renew, will they actually pay the full price or what happens then? But short term, they seem to be using that to increase the number of subscribers. And I don't think... What the data has right now, and again, I'm not a legal scholar, but it seems like they do have a case. Will they be guilty? As I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting cultural news, you have a new book called, quote, Her Body Can. Now, this is a book that, of course, it's a book being printed nowadays, so the odds that it'll be good or moral is not zero, but perhaps zero point something. Not good, in other words. Now, it actually glorifies childhood obesity. Now, I do have to have a disclaimer here just because kind of one of those fickle things when you talk about certain health topics is always the nuances. And I will say, there are certain instances where someone will be overweight because of medical difficulties. That does happen. I'm not denying that. I know there's certain medications that also can have a negative impact on your metabolism and you might have some other genetic issues, but more an overwhelming majority of the time, proper diet and exercise can change your life exponentially and most people with the right will can be healthy. Just look at the United States, what was it, 40 years ago, back when they had gym classes in schools and actually, you know, people hustled and worked hard, but I digress. Now, this book came out, of course, two um, big gals, two big moms um, came out with it and I'm going to play a little bit of it and this is also one of those times where you're glad because you don't want I'm not saying your eyes would melt out like an Indiana Jones, but it's not it's not pretty it's not a pretty sight. Let's see here. It's hard it's not good art when the, the person takes a whole frame. Moms, we've noticed that in children's books okay. there's a lack of diversity when it comes to body types in particular for this book and we really want these two moms are taking up they're in a car and they're kate crenshaw and ad meshik m-e-s-c-h-k-e ad spelled a-d-y which is ridiculous i mean 
some of those bands are being called topping. Oh wait, I digress. I wanted it to be known that girls can do anything um, regardless of what they look like. Well, regardless of what they look like, yes, not what they choose to be. I, I'm, already, I'm already thinking this lady is a douche just because she has one of those cliche white women hats where it looks like a Native American hat. It's not a cowboy hat, but it's something you only see liberal women wear. Like, cliche beyond all belief. Music is terrible. This was a book that could speak to young girls on what their bodies can do and kind of take the focus onto more of like an Oh, what your body can do. So one would think, just telling them how if you work hard, your body can look any, any way you want? Oh, no, 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 absolutely not. Action perspective rather than um, just girls being considered pretty or ornamental in some way. These two women are de these two women are definitely definitely not falling into that category. And on the screen it says this book depicts plus size girls. Another BS term. Oh, I hate that. And it, the text says achieving achieving her dream and living life unapologetically. God. That term is so so cliche and lazy. Although, perhaps, I guess, it's lazy, belongs in the book. What does a little girl who has a non-standard body size have to deal with? So, like, she would like to be able to shop. She would like to be able to do whatever physical activity she wants. Mm -hmm. um, she would like to make friends no matter what. We have spreads from a little girl running a race. Um, which Things that we've been... Yeah. Somehow she's winning the race in the book. Not realistic. I should clarify the book. The race is on a flat, like, level playing field. It's not down a hill like rolling. Yeah, things that we feel up. like we've been yeah. through. Um, and then oh. also things that, you know, we feel like are important. And um, playing with friends, shopping, swimming, like all these things that every little girl just wants to be able to do no matter what she looks like. Of course, now they're saying Minchki and Crenshaw say her body can is meant for all kids. They hope that showing and celebrating diverse body types and people. So now they're trying to hook that other... See, they're trying to hook that other group in diversity of people. Diversity of people is good. Diversity of thought is even better. But again, those... You don't choose certain things. It says, Her body is beautiful. All caps. Lame. Strong, kind... What? Her body is not... Her body is beautiful, strong, kind, and wise. It most certainly is not strong. How is it? And then how is the body kind? My, 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 your body is a part of you. It's not kind. It's your brain is what makes you a kind of person. And in terms of strength, I would enforcing behaviors that make you die earlier in life and have a mirror out of health issues. I wouldn't say that's strong in any way. And curb bullying for, can curb bullying and foster inclusivity, another really glorified word, and respect. I know this is painful, about halfway done with this video. I am a new mom. Oh. In August is eight months old. She's, and she's taking up the whole screen. It's just really important to teach him about being- Wait, wait, so the book is Her Body Can, and now she's forcing her boy to read it? 
Now, granted, this isn't the most morally vacuous thing that some women do to their boys. Inclusive and accepting and non-judgmental, and those are the types of messages, like, even... But these same women who say, oh, yeah, they're non-judgmental, and then they'll see some guy or gal working out in the gym, and they'll say, oh, they're, they're just so, so, they're all about surface beauty. It's like, no, they're just jealous because they're actually putting some effort into themselves, and you're not. Which, again, everyone, everyone has the capability to improve themselves. Having a son and having him reading this book that you think is geared towards little girls is kind of geared for everyone. It's not geared towards everyone. You you wrote the book. You, the title is Her Body Can. If, if you want a book for everyone, you'd say Everybody Can. Or you'll make a separate book saying His Body Can. Which, again, she's also probably one of those moms who can't just actually define what a woman is. But I partially digress. In, in that sense that we want everyone to be accepting and to cut down on bullying. My main goal, and I guess- Bullying can sometimes be good. It's sometimes called for in society. Some men, I see, I'm one of those people who actually see those differences between the learning areas of men and women. Men in particular, many of them actually benefit from tough love. It's, especially you see this on athletics teams, a coach will say, get off your ass, you're gonna do this. Some of them need that push. But I digress, partially. That's our main goal, and it's a big one, and I, well, I hope... Is, did she make a pun? I, I, no, no, she, she she did not intentionally make a pun, but it is kind of funny. She's making a big a big push, because she's big. And she's, I hope... It's attainable is to cut down on bullying, and by showing different characters, if you will. Can't help, can't help but notice they're not showing anyone who's, like, jacked or in shape in this book. Where's, where's that diversity of the person who's uh, exceptionally in shape? different people in the world because the world is wide <laughs> oh that's not a joke either oh, she might be, she should do stand-up because the world is wide and these they're in the car they, they barely fit in this car but the world is wide that i can't i can't help but think that that was a pun I'm taking that. People fun. can learn to be more accepting in their homes and in school. I really hope that it can have an impact on the situation with bullying. What is this? Some BS. So they got some statistics here. Ooh. Let's see what the statistics they say. Can have an impact on the situation with bullying. By age 13, 53% of American girls will say they're unhappy with their bodies. Well, part of that is just natural. It's being a girl. Men have that that issue too. You're especially being a teenager. A teenager, everyone's self-conscious. That's that's normal. What does this percentage go up to now? By that, that number grows to seventy-eight percent by the time they reach seventeen. We can put this book um, in as many hands as possible, and I think that it will make a difference one day, even if we it will, but not for the better. We see the results 20 years later. Yeah, a big society 20 years later where people die even earlier because of the myriad of health diseases associated with being overweight and obese. That's what she wants, the world, to, to pull them down to her level of mediocrity. But I'll, I'll break this down fully in a second. It's now on Amazon. Oh, these women, they, they plan to create more books. Oh, dear God. They champion p positive self-worth and self-love for the younger generation. Oh stories that are coming in um they give me chills yeah it's just we got a lot of messages yesterday from people that have just received the book because you know it's just now shipping out from moms and when their little girls are reading it they've wow. already done book reports on it 
They have um, been doing a lot of the yoga poses in the book, and so seeing them have the book on the ground or in front of them, and then them doing. So there's a semblance of good in this book. They're actually. I'm surprised the people who are reading it are moving, so that's good. The activities and the yoga poses in the book, it is just like, I yeah, mean, yeah. it will make you cry. And she's like, this girl's beautiful, my body can do this too, and that's exactly what we wanted to do. Although, ironically, if you do the exercise, then you will change and look more physically beautiful. So, if you want to actually look like the person in the book, you're supposed to just sit on the couch and do nothing. Or in these days, I know times are tough, perhaps the futon. Oh. God, that was awful. So many things wrong with that. A myriad of things. Wow. Where to begin? Well, I can't help but notice our society needs more judgment. We need more tough love. The United States is unique in the fact that it is the most obese country on the planet. Even as we have people who are economically struggling even they actually have, everyone has obesity. It seems to affect everyone in the United States. We didn't have this problem years ago. I can't help but think there's some parallels between the latest trends of not working hard, just acquiescing, acquiescing to mediocrity. We, United States is mentally and physically and morally, in many cases, vacuous, just lazy. You see this all the time, trends in social media where people, there's a trend now on the TikTok where people just stay in bed all day. It's a glorified thing in the United States. And this book is gonna have terrible effects on children. And again, I'll do a little asterisk again and clarify. I feel bad because there are some people who have medical anomalies. That does happen. There are some medications that will ruin your metabolism, they'll mess with your body and you will be overweight and that sucks. But even if you're in those positions, I feel if you work like hell, you could change your life to the better. The United States needs a revamp. The United States needs a myriad of things to fix itself. From learning how to read a book, which is something that is lost on most people these days, to becoming mentally and physically stronger. One of my favorite examples of tough love, and you do see this more, I think, as a working methodology with men versus women, but one of the greatest stand-up comedians is Bill Burr. And on his podcast, he always tells people, if they're overweight, just go to the damn gym. Work like hell. Put down the, the fast food. Put down that crap you're putting into your body. Just put in modicum of effort and you can improve yourself. I'm one of those people where I do believe you can be better. You should always strive to be better tomorrow than you were today. You shouldn't be happy with how you look or how intelligent you are. You should be striving to be better. You should be reading every day something that fascinates you, something that makes you a better person, something about philosophy or business or your profession or your passion. Or go to the gym. I'm always up like, I was, and people always say, well, I don't have time. The laziest excuse since the dawn of time is I don't have time. If I work 105 hours a week and still exercise for one and a half to two hours a day, usually at 4.30 in the morning, anyone can. Anyone can do what I do. Anyone. And I believe that if you give people encouragement like that and you actually tell people, don't acquiesce to mediocrity. Don't just sit down and say, eh, it is what it is. Like hell it is. You can be better. Just work like hell. Just every day, just do one extra push-up, one extra sit-up and you can improve yourself. My fear and my concern is that this book will have a detrimental effect on child, both mental development and physical development. If they're being taught that they shouldn't strive to improve. And statistically, statistically speaking, one of the worst things, one of the greatest disadvantages that happens to a child is if you're obese and you have a child, 
that child will inherently have greater health risk and greater health struggles than if they had not been put in that position. And I blame the parents in that case, not the child. And again, the parents are a huge issue as well. They're the ones for the first part of the years as the child is evolving and growing up, they're controlling the child's diet. And usually they're regimented in terms of their physical activity. And you see children doing less sports these days. There's a lot of issues, but again, I think a little tough love, and in some cases, I guess for women, more positive reinforcement on their end, you can strive to be better and improve yourself. That's what we should be writing books about. Look at Jocko Williams. He's an overweight man, and now he's one of the most jacked guys ever. Guy's shredded, as a youth might say. I looked that when I'm up on the Emory Dictionary. And some tough love helps. Most of the comments when I make these videos are usually, are when it comes to uh, critical feedback, are bizarrely referring to my stuttering or speaking too fast. Well, thanks to that feedback, I'm able to try to work actively on it. And again, it's not perfect, as you see with these videos, but every day I'm trying to slow down my speech a little bit more, trying to be a little more articulate with my language, and trying to have less stuttering in the videos. If no one gave me that critical feedback, if no one gave me that tough love, I would not know that's an issue. Even as I look at these videos and self-reflect and take notes on how I can do better, there are always some things where an extra pair of eyes can be of assistance. There's some things where you'll be quite literally blindsided. You don't realize it and, as cliche as it sounds, two heads, or in this case, the whole internet, is better than one. And that extra insight can help you improve. Now, a little bit of my faith in humanity was restored in this video, or more accurately, the comments section. Now, in the comments section, you have some people who, they see the big issues, pun moderately intended, that I have seen. Now, you have a comment by a gentleman by the name of Delcan DP, and this person said, quote, normalizing obesity in children's minds, that's clever, unquote. This person received 467 reactions, this was on the Facebook, they got 427 likes, an overwhelming majority of people liked that comment. You also had 30 people who laughed, you had five people who hearted it, and you had two people who were angry with it, and two who were sad. You also had a gentleman by the name of Luke Calvert. He said, quote, of course it's written by two of them, unquote. He got 137 reactions, 100 likes, and 38 laughs, one sad. Now, you also had a third positive or third most popular reaction. You had from, and I'm going to butcher this pronunciation perhaps, Owens D. Bowes. And this person said, quote, if you are an adult and want to be a plus size, all the power to you. But if your young child is plus size, quote, of course, exceptions for made for illness, unquote, it is your fault. You should read the book and not this and not this one. That particular comment got 137 reactions, breaking down into 134 likes, two hearts, and one angry reaction. So I am pleasant to see I'm not the only one that sees this issue and that is seeing the negative connotations of this book. And again, this probably this may very well be one of the most controversial posts that I've made since starting the show. And I'm not trying to be offensive to anyone unless I see them being as a threat to those children, I certainly don't want to glorify them. And in this case, I'm critiquing them because I think their approach is inaccurate and will have more negative connotations to the children's development and it will put them at a disadvantage. And it'll be interesting to see, although I don't think we have to wait. For years, ever since, even as when I was a child, I, had, I was exceptionally, exceptionally 
really put in a good position by having two parents in the house and they were great. They pushed me to be physically active and to always strive to improve my health as well as my acumen with reading books. Now, but even growing up in school, I noticed more and more teachers weren't pushing students to really go beyond their skill, their current skill set and physical set. Even health ed, they're also known as gym class. They got rid of dodgeball because it was, they, they literally said it was hurtful towards the slow kids. Well, yes, it gives you incentive to run faster. That's quite literally the game of dodgeball. Or to make yourself a smaller target makes the game, gives you an advantage. And I'll, you look at the obesity rates in the United States, they've only gone up. And it is the greatest health issue in the United States by number of cases. The number one death in the United States is preventable diseases. It just If you lose weight, your health will increase exponentially. The amount of negative side effects and the, negative, the number of diseases and issues that come up from being overweight, it's a huge negative health risk. And not all the time, I know there are medical exceptions, but it is mostly entirely preventable. So I think you see these obesity rates in the United States growing exponentially. We do need a different approach. We need to go back to the good old days where you had tough love. Where you had teachers, you, have, you look at the gym class videos from the 60s, it almost looks like a paramilitary operation. You had guys with a little climbing up a vertical wall just using pegs and putting them into the holes. People were working like hell back in the day. And you look at public schools these days and you think, oh dear God, not only at what they're teaching, but a complete lack of physical activity. So I think now is the time for some change. I think society needs a little tough love. Let me know in the comments. Do you think this book will do more harm than good? And how do we attack the issue that is childhood obesity? That does have many negative health side effects that is a growing concern in the United States, pun moderately intended. Let me know in the comments. I'd be fascinated to see what you had to say. Other interesting cultural news, you have Barstool Sports cutting staff by 25%. Now, this is after their founder, David Portnoy, famously purchased the company back for $1 from Penn Entertainment. So it is once again now a standalone company with a nuance that he will have to give them a percentage if he ever does decide to sell it again. Now, it looks like he founded it back in 2003 and sold a majority of Barstool to a company by the name of Sharon Group in 2016. And then subsequently, it was sold in 2020 to Penn Entertainment for $551 million. Now it looks like they had about, they added about 300 employees in 3.5 years under the ownership of Penn Entertainment. And now Barstool Sports will have to lay off about 25% of their employees, which will result in about 100 jobs being lost. Now when they asked for comment, David Portnoy said, quote, and people, you know me from the beginning, know I hate firing people. You can be incompetent, not work, and I generally don't fire people, fire because I hate it so much. It's the worst thing to F and have to do. Having said that, we're in a position, it, we're in a position, it's a no-brainer. It's not like I have that moral, well, we can't do this because no, no one will have jobs. Well, all not have jobs. So we have to get back to a break-even thing. We're losing a lot and it sucks, unquote. Now, terrible grammar aside, it's one of those issues where a lot of people are speculating that Penn Entertainment never actually made a profit from the acquisition. Because again, I mean, that's a pretty penny. Was, I think there's a lot, there's a, a fear of fear of missing out, so to say, is $551 million. And again, media is one of the most difficult industries to be in. An overwhelming majority of them fail. Someday this channel will be profitable and everyone who clicks that subscribe button, it helps us get there as we become monetized. The channel will eventually become monetized. And of course, 
hopefully some people will continue to reach out and work with Topping Technologies, my IT company, if your business has needs from a technology perspective, that also of course helps the channel out as well. So it'll be interesting to see if they're able to break even. I can't help but think Barstool Sports is in a very similar position that Twitter was when Elon first bought the company. They had a very top heavy staff, a lot of employees, and the income just wasn't there. It was losing money fiscal quarter after fiscal quarter. And now that they've scaled back the company and they no longer have that giant parent company paying their salaries, they need to do a lot of restructuring. They need to move a lot of money around and move a lot of people around because they do need to quickly get to that break even point, especially with this, all this economic uncertainty. A lot of businesses are trimming the fat, so to say, and a lot of them are trying to get to the point where they have to have that income become positive because they have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. And hopefully they won't have to lay off too many people after that and they'll be able to get back to being a profitable venture and everyone will have many fun years of gainful employment. But you know me, as I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting culture news, you have Alice Cooper losing a cosmetics deal for defending kids. Can't believe the, the audacity. How could he do that? Now, this is actually a, from an article from billboard.com and we'll have to do some translating together because of course, and I always tell people, when you're looking at data, Look at everything from CNN to Fox News to Daily Wire. Look at all the different media companies of the different political perspectives because you'll gain a little bit of what their thought patterns are. And it always helps you when you're building a debate, even if you're someone who likes to debate. And it also helps you just gain a more rounded perspective, so to say, because you'll see what the other side is thinking. And everything is fascinatingly nuanced from their language to the actual stances they have on policies. Now, this is a company by the name of Vamp, a company that actually cut ties with Alice Cooper. A company by the name of Vampire Cosmetics, which eh, I would say C minus for marketing because they don't know how to spell. I suspect that's marketing or maybe a copyright issue, but the company is spelled V-A-P-Y-R-E Cosmetics. So vampire, but not spelled properly. And they specifically say they're cutting ties with Alice Cooper after he called, again, this is their language, not mine, gender affirming care for trans kids a quote unquote fad. And it looks like the, this, again, this is their language. They say the ethical queer owned cosmetics company canceled its collaboration with the shock, with the rock, the shock rocker. And again, I thought queer, I thought that was a pejorative term no one is supposed to use. Fascinating how time changes certain things. Now, I mean, Alice Cooper, in terms of collaboration for a makeup company, that makes sense. I mean, I remember his music video, Poison, perhaps the number one song I know of through my experience, but He's always known for having a copious amount of makeup and his costumes being quite extravagant and interesting. Now, it looks like this is because of an interview that Alice Cooper had with a, a publication by the known as Stereo Gum, which, spoiler they do not even sell gum. So don't go there trying to buy gum or stereos, I believe. Now, earlier this last week, Cooper shared his opinion. And again, this is them saying the best met medical care for transgender youth saying he was afraid it was also a fad. Now, again, this same billboard is saying that's a common anti-trans talking point. And that, that sounds ridiculous to say beyond belief. Even in the trans community, when you talk to them, there is a huge debate internally of when you should transition, if it's appropriate at all. And what does it count? Some say you can just change your clothing like uh, Dil Mulvaney did with uh, Bud Light, that whole phenomenon. And some are saying you need to chop, buy, chop off body parts, do chemical castration, do chemical um, adjustments to the body. And some are saying you don't have to. 
So even in that community, there's debates, but they're saying he has to be wrong. Now, Alice Cooper said, when he asked for comment, he said, quote, I find it wrong when you've got a six-year-old kid who has no idea. He just wants to play and you're confusing him by telling him, hey, you're a boy, but you could be a girl if you want to be. I mean, I identify a tree. I'm going, come on, what are we in? A Kurt Von Gott novel? It, it's so absurd that it's gone to the point of absurdity. It's when he was asked about the gender, quote, unquote, gender affirming care. Personally, I don't believe it's appropriate for someone who's a child to receive drugs that we have no idea what the long-term ramifications are. And in some cases, we see the short-term, it's castrating them. So, uh, and again, the child cannot consent by its very nature. Now, he also shared his concerns about the bathrooms, which, again, is a huge debate. It's not a it's not one of the things where everyone agrees on it. The article from Billboard phrases it in such a way where they think it's a settled argument. Now, he said, a guy can walk into a woman's bathroom at any time and say, I just feel like I'm a woman today and have the time of his life in there, unquote. He continues to say, quote, he's just taking advantage of a situation. Someone's going to get R word. And I'd say R word because YouTube actually takes videos down, apparently, when you say that. The R word for your take for, uh, for, sexually abusing someone. And that's another good point. In many cases, men are doing that. Biological men are using that and terrible, morally vacuous, disgusting things are happening. And yet no one, fascinating, the feminists disappeared. No one's caring about the rights of those innocent women, which again, that should be, many people, more people should be thinking of that negative consequences. Now, from Vampire Cosmetics, they wrote, quote, in light of the statements made by Alice Cooper, we will no longer do a makeup collaboration. We stand with all the members of the LGBTQIA plus community and believe everyone should have access to health care. All pre-order sales will be refunded, unquote. Now, again, there's a point, not a point of contention. Well, perhaps there's debate in that very community and parts of that community about this topic. It's not all set and done thing but you heard the comments do you think that's really controversial for celebrity it certainly is since every celebrity seems to acquiesce to the group think and i fear there's gonna be detrimental well we have, i'll have to fear i'll i'll have to fear there might be there are debt i fear that there is detrimental things going on we've seen this famously in the daily wire documentary what is one where they talk to individuals who as who have transitioned and the med medical consequences are negative and terrible and horrifying to say the least. There are some adults who certain, if you're, I was one of those folks, there are some adults who transition, that's their business, but when it's a child, they're innocent. They, they literally can't consent to anything, but in some states and countries like Canada, if a child says they want to transition, they not only can, but if the parents protest, the parents will be arrested. That happened. And that's ha that is on the ballot in some parts of the United States. It's being pushed in California too. And my fear, the parent, parental rights are just dissolving into nothing. And it is a slippery slope, no longer a theory, it is a true thing. But Alice Cooper saying his concerns about the bathroom situation, that I think most, I think most Americans can admit and believe that is certainly a safety issue. And in many states, there are rules that say you cannot do that. And we've seen the articles. Loudoun County was a famous example where a public school we had one of the most disgusting, I'm trying to think of a appropriate language to use to describe an R, someone who commits an R word. I can't think of anything 
I can't think of anything appropriate to say that is morally and mentally vacuous in all regards, but you had a boy going to a biological boy going to a female bathroom in a public school, take advantage of her. The school then moved him around to another area. He did it again. And he claimed he had transitioned. And apparently he was wearing female clothing. And the school covered that up because at the time, the school and the parents, they're all debating, is this a good idea to allow biological boys to go in the bathroom? And because it would go against their narrative, they hid the data. And they hid that incident. It's disgusting to even think those things keep happening. So based on his the points he makes about the bathroom and then saying you're confusing kids, let me know, do you think that's controversial? For a celebrity, he is taking a stand, which these days, if he keeps this up for more than a week, I will be greatly impressed because we see more and more celebrities acquiesce to the group thing. Very few times they'll come out, they'll say something that they're against this or they're some of them just say they're concerned about the kids. They don't know what's going to happen because we've never seen any studies on the long-term ramifications of this. And even those, after a day, they'll acquiesce and they'll say, oh, they'll read almost as if they're in a hostage situation with a sniper on them. They read in a monotone voice saying, I got more education on the issue and now I believe. I guarantee you it's because your publicist or some, again, a sponsor said, you're going to apologize. You're going to do what we say because money. You'll, you'll lose your sponsorship. But thankfully... Obviously, he's been a rock star for many years. He is most certainly financially secure, but he's still giving up money on this cosmetics deal. And in a day and age where most people acquiesce and are just so morally vacuous, they won't stand up for anything. I can't help but respect Alice for, in this case, sticking to his beliefs and doing the right thing and trying to protect these kids where, again, we don't know the long-term effects of any of these. Some of these drugs have never been tested on kids. There's no case studies. They're going off-label, which is actually illegal. A drug, when it's approved by the FDA, the Federal Drug Administration, it's usually for a very specific instance. And actually, if a sales rep in this pharmaceutical field goes to a doctor and says, hey, this is engineered to cure A, but you can use it on B, that's called going off-label and lawsuits do ensue. So I'm fascinated and disappointed and horrified that more of these lawsuits aren't coming forth because these medications are using for things they were not engineered to do. So let me know in the comments, do you think he'll stick with his belief do you admire his belief? Do you disagree with these statements? Whatever your opinion are, I'd love to hear what you have to say and be interested in your feedback. Now, other cultural news you have, Bud Light, the latest sales figures are in. And of course they're terrible. And Modelo is going up again. Now this, fiscal, this data is coming in for the week of August 19th. And this data is from a couple different sources. And again, it's one of those issues where you have that delay in the data stream because it's not a direct sales model where Bud Light sells directly to the end user. You have Bud Light selling to a distributor, distributors selling to maybe a grocery store, grocery store selling to a user. So the actual sales figure and the sales data is a little delayed inherently because of that indirect sales relationship. Now, going down to actually nitty gritty details, you have this latest Nielsen IQ data provided to Fox News by Bump Williams Consulting shows that Bud Light sales in off-prem locations such as grocery stores and gas stations were down 15.9% on a dollar basis and down 20.1% on a volume basis year-to-date, or that's year-to-date, August 19th. Now, it looks like Modelo, which is brewed in the United States and owned in the United States by Constellation Brands, they're up 10.3% in sales and 9.6% in volume. 
As of the latest data, Modelo now holds an 8.4% share of total beer sales in the United States so far in 2023, while Bud Light is down to an 8.2%, which may not sound like a lot, but in aggregate, you know, that's percentages, that's a lot less beer in terms of volume. Now, it looks like Bunk Williams analyst said that Modelo topped Bud Light as a best-selling beer in large part thanks to, thanks to sales in convenience stores, oddly enough. And they know that the, quote, the slide continues to combine as Modelo continues to pad its lead across all off-prem outlets combined. Now, this is fascinating to think that for convenience stores, they're doing even better. Now, this is all anecdotal experience from my perspective, being in Texas, going to usually a QT gas station, or if I'm fortunate, you know, going on a road trip, go to Bucky's. But it's one of those fascinating things where, anecdotally speaking, when I do see gentlemen buying beer at the gas station, in the past four months, I've only seen one buy Bud Light. I have seen many people, especially in the construction industry, where you see gentlemen come in, they'll buy beer. That seems to be, when I see people buying beer at the gas station, that's the most frequent customer. More often than not, they're buying Modelo. So at least according to my small so anecdote data, it seems to be making sense. Now, it looks like going diving back more to the data, they say total beer sales in the U.S. were up 2.2% in dollar sales for the week ending August 19th, but three brands saw double-digit increases in both sales and volume. You have Miller Lite up 18.5% in sales and 12.3% in volume. You have Coors Light up 21.6% in sales and 15.7% in volume. And Yaling was up 19.7% in sales and 15.6% in volume. That is astronomical. And probably partially just warms. It is nice to see a family business continue to succeed. Yaling is the oldest beer brewer, or I guess the mass beer brewer in the United States, established way back in the day. And they're still family owned, which is unprecedented. The amount of companies that are still family owned are few and far between. Anecdotally speaking, I know Zippo is still family owned, but unfortunately, more often than not, throughout the generations, unfortunately, they're usually sold off, like Anheuser-Busch, which sold off to InBev. It used to be owned by the Bush family. Now, it looks like going to the Bud Light sales figures, Bud Light sales for the single week were down 26.8% on a dollar basis and 30.3% by volume basis. They also noted that Anheuser-Busch brand Budweiser suffered a lesser degree. So Budweiser sales were down 10.5% for the dollar amount and the volume sales were down 14.4%. Fascinating. 30.3%. This is also hilarious because the CEO of Anheuser-Busch and Bev a couple weeks ago said, oh yeah, here's this one study here. This study says uh, people are more forgiving to our brand. The boycott's surely over. No, it's not. If anything, it's maintaining or getting worse. I believe a couple weeks ago is in the, I believe it's 27 to 28% decrease in sales. And it is even more for volume. But this one was down 30.3% for Bud Light. Astonishing. What what was the number one beer in the United States of the month and the year for 20 years? Name another category of product where you can be the number one for 20 years and not be satisfied and say, well, I think we have a fratty, our, our, our brand is a fratty perception. We're going to rebrand it. Oh, Alyssa Heiderschild, you'll be remembered for decades. It will be the business use case of, as a business blunder of the century. People thought new Coke was bad. That lasted a couple weeks. They just had to bring back the original Coke. And now when you go to the store, Coca-Cola, you see it says original Coca-Cola. 
ironically actually helped push them ahead of Pepsi in sales and popularity. And that was a quick fix. They, they, all they had to do after a couple weeks of bad sales with New Coke, they brought back the original formula, they had a huge marketing campaign, and people fell in love with the old brand that they loved. That was a very, in terms of complexity, a relatively simple fix. Just bring back an old product. Tell people you listen, they hate the new Coke, fine. We got the, new, we got the old Coke. We got classic Coke, now everyone loves it. This issue, you can't do that. The old, and again, I've said this before, I think the only conceivable, conceivable way to increase the sales of Bud Light is if you were to sell the brand back to the Bush family. I know physically speaking, that doesn't make a lot of sense because again, they're still making 70% of their sales and I don't think Anheuser-Busch Bev, the parent cup, the whole parent conglomerate, I don't think they would ever unwind that deal in that regard. But let me know in the comments, can you think of any other conceivable way they could possibly redeem their brand? They're increasing censorship on all their social media exponentially, even banning my account for having the audacity to post a Yangling beer, as well as Rich Mooney, who's one of the most popular responders doing all the polls. But is there any conceivable way they could turn this around? And how long will they have to go before they lay off more employees? Or they'll lose more costs, their costs are gonna go up. One of the main things you see in volume businesses, and I saw this when I worked, I used to work at an IT manufacturer called Hewlett Packard Enterprise, which was Hewlett Packard, but for the data center, so like servers, storage, networking, AKA Wi-Fi. They would actually break even on some deals with the largest financial institutions on the planet where they would sell them X amount of laptops, or in my case, X amount of servers, and they would be okay breaking even because they're buying such a large quantity of components that on the other projects, they would now have that same discount applied to those components. And on those projects, they would make a profit. So sometimes you do these large projects just so you can get those economies of scales down and the price per unit down. Now, when you look at beer companies, they all have hops. And presumably they have some shaker and other crap and artificial stuff they put in there as well. And Bud Light, you have subsequently amount of horse piss in there or pond water, I would suspect. And there are discounts associated with buying in bulk. If they're losing 30% of their sales, at what point do they start to lose those discounts? And if they do, how much will they have to increase the price of their beer? For months, they've been giving it away with rebates and discounts. What will they do when that time comes? And let me know in the comments, do you think they can redeem themselves? I mean, if I were looking at the Magic 8 ball, I would certainly say the outlook is not good. Now, going on to the political part of the podcast, we have Vivek Ramaswamy has a plan to protect kids from social media, and on Twitter, it gets 3.2 million views. So that's quite a good feat, I think. Not to brag, but I think 100 people saw my tweet one time. Oh, no, no, I did get 600 one time when I responded to something. Not to, not to toot my own horn, I had like four likes. Again, at N-I-C-T-O-P-P-I-N-G, you'll see, or at the Topping Show, or guy handles for both, or profiles for both. Now, Going over to this video of Vivek, he's speaking at an event, and he has a comparison talking about the smoking age and correlating with technology. And without further ado, I'll go ahead and I'll get that played. This isn't a partisan point. This is just and actually should qualify in terms of the statistics. All these statistics for all the likes and all the views is all taken within the first 48 hours. So after 48 hours, I stop, I, you know, I wrote down all the statistics, so they're all equal. Just solving a problem. The reality is modern social media. It's actually the place where not only are we preying on a psychological vacuum in kids with the algorithms, serving them up things that give Mark Zuckerberg a deeper window into their soul than a parent has into their soul. True. So I think for many reasons, addictive social media, for the same reasons 
that you don't let kids smoke an addictive cigarette by the age of 18 or have an addictive drink of alcohol by the age of 21, you should not be using an addictive social media product beneath the age of 16. Kids aren't the same as adults. I, I, like, I like freedom for adults. Kids aren't adults, right? And so we have to protect children. That's one of my bases for saying it, but actually look at the facts. It is also the main source of predatory behavior that actually begins in the online world before it moves to the offline world. It's well, public schools too, but another topic, another topic for another time. So that for me is just one more reason for supporting a policy that I've long advocated even before I ran for president, but which I also articulated on day one of running for president. If you're not old enough to smoke that addictive cigarette by the age of 16, you're not old by the age of 18, you're not old enough to use that addictive social media product by the age of 16 either. And we should have the courage to actually stand up and say this isn't a Republican or Democrat issue. This is about protecting our children and have the spine to see it through. So that got quite a lot of attention on the social media. Now, within the, again, 48 hours, it got 3.2 million views. It got 34,100 likes. So not the best like ratio. Get a little math here today. That's 1.06%. Now, interestingly enough, you look at a lot of Vivek's other content and mostly positive responses, and he is very good at the social media. This was much more divisive. Now, it looks like a few people disagreed and some people were in the middle. The top responses, when I was looking, you had Sandeep Neal, and he said, ban TikTok. That comment got 13,200 views and 72 likes. So not the best, 0.54% like ratio. Now, you also have DRD1RK Diggler, and he, quote, how about a ban on banning things? Unquote. This, that would be better. This person got 21,500 views and 258 likes, which doesn't sound like a lot, but compared to the other one, that's 1.2% like ratio, much better. You also had the libertarian mama. She said, quote, that's not up to the government to decide. That's up to the parents, unquote. While she only got 3,068 views, she did get 101 likes, being her one of the highest ratios of 3.29%. Now, you also had Florida Girl 0850 say, quote, more government control is not conservative, unquote. She got 7,021 views and 246 likes, giving her the best ratio at 3.5%. Now, it is interesting to see a lot more divisive comments considering most of the social media, most of the people, most of the comments are overwhelmingly supporting him. Now, in this instance, it is a tricky thing because... I'm not a fan of really any government censorship. I think something the government could do conceivably that I think would be a good idea is ban TikTok. TikTok is Chinese-owned spyware. It does nothing but feed children in the United States the most morally, mentally vacuous material of all time. It literally just, it's so detrimental for children. They actually had some famous people on TikTok who actually had, believe it or not, there are people who have stutters worth, worse, much worse than mine, and they have other quirks. The children would watch these videos, they would emulate the videos and they would develop physical and mental disorders by watching the videos. And in the United States, it's just giving them junk. It's as if you're just taking a funnel and cramming fast food down a child's throat. That's the same thing you're doing by giving your child TikTok. Because again, it's Chinese spyware, nothing good can come from it. In fact, only bad things seem to come from it, especially for children. It's, in my opinion, it's a weapon. You look at how China uses it for their children, quite the antithesis their children actually gives them STEM fields. It actually shows you how it's cool to be 
a doctor, or a scientist. It teaches you to be patriotic and love the country of China. It does the exact opposite in the United States. So with TikTok, because it's foreign-owned and it's just spyware, I think you'd have more public. I think you'd have more public support around banning that particular instance. Now, when it comes to other media platforms, which again, if you're if you're a child, I don't think there's any upside of using social media. Actually, if I think your parent actually has the audacity of giving your kid a smartphone, you're mentally or more in the back, which to say the least, there's not one legitimate reason to give them that device. The negative ups, the negative is so much, so much more overwhelming than the, the positive. There's no reason. The cliche is, oh, safety, give them a dumb phone. And then I say a dumb phone, I mean a phone with no internet and they can dial 911. That is at most what you should be giving a kid these days, especially with the, just, there's so much a vast amount of content that's negative on the internet for children. I don't see any upside to giving them a smartphone these days, especially. It just has, I have to say that twice just because it blows my mind that some parents acquiesce to, oh, my kid won't be popular. Every other kid has it, which is the dumbest argument of all time. That's what you, that's the argument you're supposed to use against a kid when they say, oh, all my kids are doing it. And say, if all your friends are jumping off a bridge, Timmy, would you jump off the bridge? That, that's supposed to be a lesson you teach the kids, not doing the opposite for them. So I think if you're a parent, if you allow your kid on social media, you're a moron. Well, perhaps a nice way of saying that would just be morally vacuous because you're setting them up for the opposite of success. You're setting them up to be addicted and to be comparing themselves to everyone in the most negative possible way. Now, for the government to do something, I think that's where Vivek is losing a little support. Because again, from being more, again, looking at all of his opinions, and he's, re he's running as a Republican nominee to become United States president, I don't think that's going to jive, as the youth might say, with his potential upcoming constituents. I think there's a lot of downside, and I don't think it's going to hurt him in the polls exponentially, but people are already talking about this on social media, and not all, most of the comments are more critical than positive. So I don't think it was a highlight of Vivek. I think he needs to clarify his goals for the topic. He should tell people parents should not be doing this. He should specify exact, and again, he's usually very articulate with how he's gonna take on other issues in the United States. He needs to have an update video where he goes to this topic. He says, here's my exact plan of how to attack the topic and the issue of youth and social media. One, we're gonna ban TikTok. There's no good reason to have it, especially because again, it's just Chinese spyware. You don't need it in the United States. And Two, I believe Facebook already has the terms and conditions for six, being, a, I believe, 16 or older. I think they need to increase the scrutiny. Maybe you have to have, again, I'm just spitballing here. I'm not running for president, but it's one of those things where maybe they have to have an idea. And some of them, they say you have to have parental consent. Maybe revamp that so there's actually a little bit more strength behind it as opposed to traditional, something that's easy for the child to circumvent. But it'll be interesting, it'll be interesting to see what Vivek does. But I think he could benefit from clarifying it a little bit. But overall, I don't think it'll be a huge detriment to his campaign. But it'll be interesting. Let me know in the comments. Do you think this is going to be detrimental to his campaign? Do you think he's going to have to pull out all the stops to do damage control? Or do you think this will blow over and not be that big of an issue? It'll be interesting to see. But I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting political news. You have a House Democrat asking banks about their $31 billion in racial equity pledges. Now, this is coming from Representative Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts, who sent letters to J.P. Morgan and four other major lenders asking them for details about the program that they rolled out after George Floyd's death. Now, even though I might not agree with 
It's one of those things where I may not believe with anything she has politically speaking. I do think this is a good question to ask the banks because they all made these huge commitments, but how are they actually going to do it? And also it kind of sounds racist against, against other groups of people as we'll, so we'll dive in. Now it looks like they sent letters to all those banks, including JP Morgan, Chase, Citigroup, Bank of America, U.S. Bank Corp, and Wells Fargo, asking for a, quote, comprehensive financial audit report, including data, plans, and policy changes related to, to the commitments by October 23rd. Which, again, yes, we, I think these details should be as transparent as possible. Now, it looks like the pledges cited JP Morgan's by the largest. JP Morgan committed $30 billion over five years when it announced an October 2022, including expanded housing programs, small business lending, and increasing workforce diversity efforts. In a February 2022 update, the bank said that it had already committed or deployed 13 billion of the sub, of the of the sum, financed 60,000 affordable housing and rental units, and approved 1 billion in lending to build or redevelop affordable homes along other steps. Perhaps they'll also rebuild the communities that the riots all tore down. That'd be nice. No. Now it looks like City and Bank of America each pledged a billion, with the latter expanding its effort to 1.25 billion in March 2021. Last September, Wells Fargo announced a racial equity audit of programs, including a 420 million for diverse small business owners, and U.S. Bank Corp. and U.S. Bank Corp. committed 116 million in June 2020 to address racial and economic disparities. Now, it looks like Presley, a Democrat who sits on the Financial Services Committee, acknowledged that her purse for greater transparency has been limited. And she goes, quote, I'm not going to go with contingency plans. You have to first just lay it out there. And that she believes banks will be responsive. They want, oh, so cliche. They want to be on the right side of history, which I would say, why not help out everyone equally, especially for small business loans? I don't think you should discriminate people based on melanin or the skin. I mean, I can't help but think all these people, everyone would be freaking out if Bank of America said, oh, yeah, we're going to have Keep it owned business fund. Well, I don't think anyone would actually. That's, yeah, they probably have protests because it's, again, it'd be inherently discriminating against other races. So I don't know how. It sounds like a lawsuit if I were to say it. It just. Let me know in the comments if they're giving all this money away just based on how people look. What if someone, who, what if someone who's Asian American, they want to apply for a small business loan, but. Can they not call? It sounds like they can't qualify now just because of their race. That in it, it inherently sounds racist, and I don't know how they're going. I don't know how they won't be sued into. Well, they're, they're giant banks. They're not going to be sued, in, sued into oblivion. They're they have quite literally the greatest cash reserves ever. But it'll be interesting to see. Let me know in the comments. Do you think this will backfire on the banks in terms of optics? I know back in the day, it seemed like a very popular initiative. Every company seemed to jump on the bandwagon. But I think it's been a couple of years. I feel like more and more people are starting to ask, well, shouldn't we just treat everyone equally? Why not give everyone that opportunity to start a small business or to get an affordable home? I would think that'd be quite literally the definition of fair, but I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting political news, you have Ford making an offer to the United Auto Workers, which is I would say one of the biggest political chain, political groups of all time, based on how much money they give. Now, the downside is the United Auto Workers, in terms of their total compensation, and again, I know this also includes benefits, but cost of shareholders regardless. They want about, again, the estimates that they want about 70 to $80 billion over the next four years from each of the big three. The big three being 
Ford, Chrysler, and General Motors. And it looks like Ford made an offer. Now, the, the, the contract would provide our employees with a 15% guaranteed combined wage increases and lump sums and improved benefits or the life of the contract, the company said. Wages, including overtime and lump sum bonuses for Ford UAW, United Auto Workers, represented hourly workers would make an increase from $70,000 on average in 2022 to $92,000 in the first year of the contract. This according to Ford. Now, that already sounds like it's more than many of these people deserve. I mean, I w most Americans would love to make not $70,000 a year. I believe last time I checked the average income in the United States was more towards the 30s. Now, one might think, this is coming from a auto branch advisor, Kristen, saying, quote, one might think that of these UAW contracts as a set of three large purchase orders to secure labor needed for the assembly, future vehicles, parts, and components, contracts that are collectively worth roughly 70, 80 billion over the course of the first four years. Now, it looks like that's a pretty penny. And again, I think the UAWs are going to turn that, they're going to turn down that offer because right now they have 10 demands and they are quite large. Now, some of the top demands that usually get headlines, the union has proposed a 46% wage increase over four years, a 32-hour work week, while still getting paid for working 40 hours. That, that might be the one of the greatest definitions or the greatest metaphor for a union. I want to only work 32 hours, but I want you to pay me for 40 hours. That, that's the best metaphor I've heard of, actually. I know it's early in the month, but perhaps in the past 30 days when it comes to unions. Now, they also want to have re retiree health care coverage to all. They want to have a restoration of cost of living adjustments, expanding pensions, and more. That is a lot. And there are a couple things where I think Ford will acquiesce. And there are a couple of these things that I think could be beneficial for both sides. But at the end of the day, some of these like some of these asks are just so audacious and disgustingly not not feasible in 2023. Like pensions. Name one private company that does pensions. They don't. I know of one in Texas. And I may not know sports ball teams, but I do know a thing or two about business. It's just not a thing anymore. It was a great idea. Don't get me wrong. The idea of a pension is phenomenal. But they're no longer fiscally feasible for any company that actually wants to be financially responsible and make a profit. They are famous in the public sector, but that is one of the most corrupt, morally vacuous things where we actually have public sector unions hire, or rather, they pay and get people elected. The people elected then turn around and then give them these huge, enormous benefits. Perhaps the definition of corruption, yet no one seems to call it out, hardly. But they want all these benefits, and I understand, they. when I have critique when I talk about the UAW, when I talk about these topics, some people talk about how the executives got a high amount of pay during these during the bailouts in 2009 when they went bankrupt. And I agree, taking a big paycheck during inopportune times, that's not good optics at all. And there are certainly some issues on both sides, but the UAW just seems to want every penny. And it's one of those things where this crippled the companies multiple times throughout the centuries. GM, General Motors, has gone bankrupt multiple times since Billy Durant founded the company when he first combined Oldsmobile and Buick way back in the day. And you look at the analysis of why GM and Chrysler both went bankrupt in 2009. Some of the largest single line item costs were pensions, medical benefits, as well as the, all these huge costs of wages for the employees, paying someone $65, $75 an hour to put a tire in a car. 
which again, I know that does include their healthcare. It's not just how much cash is going to their pocket, but that big number is what's affecting the shareholders. It's what is affecting the people who buy the cars because that cost is being put into the vehicle. Someone has to pay for it. And right now, if you look at the business field of the automotive community, Mary Barra, the CEO of General Motors, she's trying to cut every penny possible. She actually went to the salaried employees at corporate and last uh, two fiscal quarters ago, I believe, they actually asked people, hey, we have tough times. We're trying to cut every penny. We're trying to cut literally a couple billion dollars from our budget. We don't want to fire you, but we're, we would be willing to buy you out of your contract. Is anyone willing to come forward and just volunteer? So instead of just firing them, they would actually pay them. Let's say if you have a one-year contract to make an X amount of dollars and you've, you're about halfway through the contract, they would buy you out for the whole contract and then you would go find gainful employment somewhere else. That was one of the ideas she's had. And again, they're trying to cut every penny and trim the fat from the budget because they're competing against Tesla. They're competing against Honda and Toyota. All make more reliable vehicles and all do not have unions weighing them down. And all of them also, you could also argue the culture of Kaizen and um, all the different things that Toyota does where Toyota, culturally speaking, is a phenomenon where on the assembly line, they actually encourage workers, hey, if there's an issue on this car, let us know. We're gonna stop the assembly, we're gonna fix that car right now. As opposed to General Motors or Ford or you know, Chrysler, they just say, go, 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 McDonald's style. Get the car through the assembly, make a note, maybe we'll fix it on the way out. They usually don't, but it's a whole different cultural difference as well. And then of course the reliability of the actual parts come into play. And someone, and I do appreciate your feedback. If you're part of the union or you're part of the executive, I'd love to hear your experience so you can put that into the next video because more data the better. And I love stories as well. But it's one of those issues where someone in the comments a couple weeks ago when I talked about the latest negotiation with Ford, or sorry, actually it was General Motors, they noted, I said the vehicles are less reliable. They noted that, well, yeah, that's because GM, the company, also chooses cheaper parts. Well, one of the reasons they have to do that is because they have less money because the cost of labor is more expensive. The cost could only be moved around so much. It's, you're moving it around. So there are a lot of reasons where I don't think it's actually financially feasible to have unions in 2023 in a global economy. At the time when GM was the pinnacle of the automotive community, well, the same, the big three, Ford, GM, Chrysler, you back in the 1950s, they were on top of the world. Detroit was the richest city on the planet, most prosperous city ever. And the union saw how good everything was. They, and if, at the time, GM and those companies could afford these great benefits for all these unions because they were quite literally the only game in town. The United States was the only country that was not blown up. So Germany couldn't make really a lot of cars. Oh, same with Japan. So for a long time, US kind of had a monopoly for vehicles, but subsequently competition came along and Japan just makes some of the most bulletproof vehicles on the planet. My family, and again, I'm talking about the best ROI on the planet, buy an internal combustion engine. It'll just last forever. You have my family's Honda Accord. It's lasted over 20 years and it's still working perfectly because it's a Honda Accord. It's awesome. Now, that's also my point of contention with EVs, but another topic for another time. It's one of those issues where the cost is more, the reliability is not as great. And again, the profits that they're making now, the union's seeing the short-term profits, because right now GM is making good profit. They, re they have to reinvest that not only to the new transformation, because Mary Barra specifically wants to be EV 100% for Cadillac by 2030, and the whole fleet of you know Cadillac, Buick, um, you also have Chevrolet, and then you have GMC, she wants all of them to be EV by 2035, which might sound far away, but in business, that's just around the corner. And that's gonna be a huge fiscal investment, not just for the research and development to hire the engineers and the computer engineers are gonna need for EVs, but 
Also for the new factories, you're gonna need whole new tooling to put those cars together. That's gonna be a lot of money. Also, you have a lot of uncertainty right now. You have 40 year hyperinflation. No one knows what's going, out, going, going to go on with the economy. There's a lot of political reasons people have uncertainty, but that's another thing. Companies, they're trying to put some money aside because some things can go wrong. The only reason Ford did not go bankrupt in 2009 when the other two did of the big three, one, they took out a big loan, so that was pretty convenient, but the union did acquiesce a little bit and they decreased their benefits. So they came together and actually were able to make it work temporarily. Now, that being said, Ford's cost of goods is still pretty expensive. The F-150 has gotten so expensive, it's basically a house for most people. What used, ironically, what used to be an actually little cheap farm vehicle is now you know, 60, 70, $90,000 for a damn truck these days. I don't know how much longer this relationship can happen. And again, you have a point of contention. It's like a divorce attorney or divorce lawyer. Every time you have a third party involved who their entire existence and they, they benefit when there's conflict between the employees and the UAW. That's their whole value property is, oh yeah, we'll come in and make it better. They don't. But it always, their whole job, it actually has benefits to being in a confrontational situation. So it's one of those things where Ford is making an offer. If, and I'm not a gambling man, but if I were a gambling man, I would say the UAW is going to laugh at that offer. They're going to they're going to demand even more. And all these unions have voted they are willing to strike. They're not striking right now. They voted saying, are you willing to? They are overwhelmingly saying they are willing to strike. So subsequently, I can't help but think that's another big curveball that's going to hurt the industry. It's going to be great for the competition, though. How long will they be able to keep this going? Will they come to an agreement? I, I'm, I'm not a gambling man, but as the Magic 8-Ball might say, Yalik is not so good. Other interesting political news, you have Chris Christie saying he's a fighter and getting ratioed in seconds. Now, this was on Twitter, also known as X, and it is where he's with, he's with Mr. Cuomo. It's a minute 23, and yeah, it got ratioed and eviscerated in mere seconds. And geez Louise, he... Um, his chins are really not showing good in this video. No. He, he needs a personal assistant or so, someone in wardrobe to get something that fits him better. No one ever, ever has questioned whether I'm a fighter. No one's ever questioned whether I'm willing to stand up for the things we believe in. There's a difference. I think many people question his physical capabilities of standing up. I don't think that's true. Between fighting to get something done and fighting just for the sake of fighting. And in this instance, what I'm going to do is exactly what I did in New Jersey, is stand up. I fought the teachers union in New Jersey, Chris, and you were there and saw it. When no one was willing to fight the teachers unions, I stood up and fought them and brought more charter schools and more renaissance schools to my state than any governor in the state's history. Also a good example of, I might not agree with a lot of things politicians do, but more often than not, all the times, sometimes they you may be able to find one good thing from every, every politician. So. I have to admit, that was a good accomplishment. I will give him credit in that regard. He should use that more in his advertising for his campaign, I believe. I stood up and fought against those forces in my state who thought you couldn't cut spending and you couldn't cut taxes. And we did it. And we did it with a Democratic legislature. We reformed the pension system with Democratic help because we made the case to the public that our policies were right. This is not about capitulation. This is about having someone who knows how to use the levers of power and the bully pulpit to be able to get results. 
guy. He is not photogenic. People are tired of rhetoric with no results. I am the guy. You can see his three chins every time he's talking. Who can bring results. I've done it before in one of the bluest states in this country, and I will do it again when I'm president of the United States. No one, no one is ever going to think <laughs> that Chris Christie isn't a fighter. This is a great example of someone who would be really good on radio. What he's saying is quite good, especially when you look at the Republican Party and what a lot of the people believe in. That resonates with many people. A lot of people see the issues with the unions being paid exponentially, but tax scores for children going down exponentially as well. So I think what he's saying is good, but it is certainly not photogenic. And politically speaking, he's getting a lot of support from the never Trumpers. There's many areas of the Republican Party, many routes. He's chosen to attack Trump because there is a not insignificant part of the Republican Party who does not like Trump. And now he's their only option in terms of those people, if they want to vote for someone in the primary, he's their person. That's what he's running on really right now. But it is fascinating. You see this with Ted Cruz. They have, just like you have Chris Christie, they have a lot of support, but on social media, it is fascinating. Like they're just not, they, you don't see their support there. Now, not to say, not to toot my own horn, but I did a lot of scrolling for this analysis. Now, that little clip there got, but again, you're, we, we compare this to Vivek. I was talking about that earlier in this episode. He got 3.2 million. Within a couple days, he got to 3.5 million views on a video. And his average video, I'd say, gets between 200 and 300,000 hits for Vivek. Christy, and again, they have different audiences. That's something to take into consideration. But Christy's getting that video, and again, this is all statistics taken. Let me double check my notes really quick. They're all statistics taken after 40, uh, 24 hours. So all these numbers were taken, you know, video came out, 24 hours, took all the statistics down. Now, this video got 52,500 views. Again, this is a major public, or it's not major, he's a public official who's been around for quite some time. Again, he needs his, his team needs to be working more on social media because that is a huge market to capture when it comes to politics. So he got 52,500 views and... 1,661 likes. So not terrible. It's actually a good ratio. It's 3.18% like ratio. That That's actually pretty good. But the views are so small. And again, it's not to chew my own horn out. I think I got 600 views. That was like one of my most popular responses on the Twitter sphere. But comparing him to, the, to his competition for Republican primary nominees, that's really not good. And the responses were pretty much all bad. Now, I looked at the responses. I scrolled. The first 27 responses, every single one of them was negative. The first 27. The 28th comment, and I had to scroll, not, not to self-sacrifice, but that was an exercise right there. Now, it looks like the 28th comment was a guy saying, I love the blue and I predict that Chris Christie's numbers will gradually improve. Which, again, that's a good comment, saying he thinks the guy's upward trajectory probably, that's what he's saying. I got 51 views and two likes, two. That's, that's almost seemingly impossible. Now, the more popular, much more, more popular entertaining responses, one came from Tony Bollard. He said, quote, undisputed donut king, unquote. He got 495 views and 23 likes, giving him a ratio of 4.64%. Now, you also had someone by the username of Rise Up, and this person said, quote, the interview makes Christy and Chris look like clowns, unquote. Now, this person was kind enough to actually respond in a meme where actually did little, little clown pictures on them or, you know, a little hat and nose. 
not much makeup was needed. Now, he got 286 views and 23 likes, giving him an 8.04% like ratio. Quite impressive. Now, another one said, this is from SMD. This person said, quote, drop out now. Your campaign is futile, unquote. That got 589 views and 43 likes, giving the ratio 7.3%. So I told you the one positive review after the 27th comment, so the 28th one was good. And then I scrolled down, the next 23 were subsequently, or 22 more subsequently, they were all negative. Every single one of them. So politically speaking, it's fascinating. And again, there are different age demographics of people who use social media, and maybe people who are more elderly or don't have a Twitter, maybe those are his main constituents or the main people who are currently voting for him in these primary campaigns. And But it's fascinating to see one of the first 50 comments were positive for Chris Christie. I mean, that is a social media, social, maybe that'll be a new category on the show, a social media blunder that is certainly worthy of a, of a award because that is, that is certainly, maybe we'll have a political blunder of the day. Let me know in the comments if you think that'd be a good idea, but as abysmal to say the least. And I can't help but think maybe again, like last time, maybe he's just going for a cabinet position, but We'll see. Maybe he'll gain some steam. My three cents. I don't think he's going to gain enough steam or gain enough votes from the community he's currently catering towards with this campaign. But we'll always see. As I always say, time should tell. Other interesting political news. You have Russia deploying the Sarmat ICBM, which is an acronym. Again, acronyms make it sound smart. They're cool. Internet Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, which is a nice, fancy, scientific way of saying a giant missile that can go across the globe and hit you. Not good news. And it is also known as the Satan II, which I'd say A minus for marketing. That's, it doesn't have the word missile in it, but it certainly sounds evil and makes you think about it. Now, Putin is saying that it'll make the world, quote, think twice, unquote, for combat. Now, it looks like, quote, the Sarmat Strategic Complex has been put on combat duty. This from Roskomos General Director Yuri, Yuri Berdasov. And he said that Russia's NIA Novesky news agency reported, according to the Moscow Times. Now, Putin first announced the Sarmat, also known as Satan II, in 2018. The ballistic missile system is capable of carrying at least 10 nuclear warheads and intended to replace the R-36 ICBMs that are known by the NATO reporting to the name of Satan. And this is a quick news article from Gold Fox. And of course, I won't play it, but you have a video from Korean Jean-Pierre. And... Looks like launched 2018. It's so like she said, Putin placed Russia's nuclear forces on special combat regime shortly after he invaded Ukraine out of the fear of the U.S. and NATO may intervene on behalf of Ukraine. Well, I'm not going to say, he certainly called it since pretty much every country on the planet has shipped Ukraine more money and weapons than you can possibly fathom. The U.S. alone is spending over $100 billion to the Ukraine. We can't arm, you can't put armed guards in front of schools to protect our kids or fix the public roads or balance our budget, but we can give Ukraine $100 billion in cash as well as physical assets like planes and you know, missiles. Now it looks like more speculation. This is a author by the name of Koffler and wrote a book called Putin's Playbook, which, uh, sorry, Putin's Playbook, Russia's secret plan to defeat America. And they claim that they know, has some insight to Russia or um, Putin's strategy. And this person claimed that, but Putin would never attack the U.S. homeland kinetically, especially with nuclear weapons, unless, of course, Russia detects signs that we might attack them first. 
So the Sarmat move is for deterrent purposes, she added. Which might be, but perhaps it is an apt metaphor since everyone thinks, you know, Russia and there's a fascinating correlation where everyone thinks bears in Russia. So perhaps the metaphor is apt, but don't poke the bear. Like, I don't see any positive from ramping up this conflict. I say what you say about Trump, but I do think he has the right idea in terms of we should be aiming towards peace. And inevitably, no one wants to admit this, but there's going to be negotiations on both sides. Both sides are going to have to give something up and they're going to meet somewhere in the middle. Because again, right now, we're just ramping it up and more and more people are dying. That's not a good thing. And I can't help but think that a lot of, there are many groups who want to ramp up this war. Maybe it's a distraction, some might speculate, but again, a lot of people and civilians are suffering as well. On both sides, you're seeing a lot of casualties. There's a lot of um It is heartbreaking to see so many civilians who are getting caught in the middle of this. And I really hope someone comes, steps up and starts to negotiate. But right now the incentive structure isn't there. Every country on the world conceivably with the exception of China seems to be shoveling more cash, more weapons into Ukraine. That's not incentivizing them to stop, quite the opposite. It's giving Zelensky every incentive to keep pushing the war and to keep ruling without elections as well. He famously proclaimed they won't have elections. Interesting. And if the U.S. were just to say, I can't help but think if the U.S. would say, hey, we're one of the biggest contributors to your campaign or your rule and your war, Zelensky, we're not going to give you any more weapons. No more cash. We're cutting you off. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to go down, sit with Putin. Both of you are going to give up some land. Both of you are going to give up some things. And there's going to be a ceasefire. There's going to be peace. Now, my fear is that it's going to keep ramping up and Russia will get to the point where they're going to feel like they're boxed in a corner. They're going to feel like there's no more options left. That's when it gets really scary because when someone thinks they have nothing else to lose, that's when they do some of the most risky behaviors ever. And Russia has nuclear capabilities. So I fear it doesn't continue to escalate, but right now with all the data we have, that seems to be what the world keeps pushing to. And I really hope both sides come together and the civilian casualties will stop. And again, hopefully there'll be peace, but right now I'd say that Match Apolol would say it's outlook not good. Let me know in the comments, do you think this is getting better or worse? Well, will this show force be a deterrence or will it backfire? And now the world might say, well, now this is justification to ramp up the war. How do you think it'll be interpreted on a world scale? And what do you think is going to happen in the future? Do you think things are going to get better? Do you think this will help the situation? Or do you think it's just going to cause, unfortunately, more damage and more casualties, more collateral damage? I really do hope it gets better and peace does come. But I'm afraid it does look like it's going to get worse before it gets better. But that's, let me know in the comments, especially if you're an international viewer. I'd love to hear if you're from Ukraine or from Yarsha or somewhere in Europe. I'd love to hear what you have to say or what your experiences might be when it comes to this topic. And I do hope everything, I do hope everyone is safe and I hope there's a ceasefire soon. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, you have Kia recalling to 320,000 vehicles. You, can't, you just can't escape, literally. Now, this is because the truck, the trunk latch might crack, which prevents the trunk from opening from the inside. So that's where in the United States is actually is a law. 
if you look at a trunk, they usually have a glowing piece of plastic with a little funny picture that says, you know, jump out of the trunk. It's for safety. So if someone is locked in the trunk or, you know, someone being kidnapped, they see that latch and they can automatically just pull it and it automatically unlocks the trunk so they can escape. Now, it looks like this will cover Kia vehicles, um, specifically the Rio, the Optima, Optima Hybrid, Optima Plug-in Hybrid, and it's a grand total of 319,436 vehicles, according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration report. Now, it looks like this is, uh, thankfully, it doesn't look like to be a catastrophic issue where there hasn't been any negative reports of people being hurt thus far from this, and it's not a catastrophic engine or transmission failure or a brake failure, so it doesn't sound like there's any collision issues. So thankfully, it's not too dangerous in that regard. But certainly, since it's not good for the reputation, just last week, they had an issue where their car had an acceleration issue. Well, I would also venture to say that's partially because people who drive Kias aren't used to them being accelerating more than 21 miles per hour. Don't worry, that's just a moderate pun. And it's also because of an issue with automatic transmission, the software, yet another reason to just buy a vehicle with three pedals, also known as a manual transmission, the best experience you'll ever have from a vehicle. I highly implore everyone to go buy one while you still can before they're subsequently outlawed due to de facto bans on internal combustion engines with tailpipe emissions from global government entities. But this isn't good for the reputation. They, Kia's gone, they've had a great pendulum swing. In the 90s, way back in the day, they were a very pejorative joke of a company. People actually compared them to being as reliable as a bomb sled being rolled down the hill. Jay Lemo famously on his late night show back in the day. Now, thankfully they got some new German leadership, actually had German leadership, I believe from Volkswagen, Lee Volkswagen going over to Kia. And that's why, you know, mid, mid to late 2000s, you can't help but notice the interiors got a lot better, kind of, kind of looked a little bit like a Volvo. They all came with standard heated and cooled seats, which at the time was unprecedented for the industry. Only a few competitors had that type of capability, usually more high end. So they introduced a lot of luxury features, more standard or, you know, entry level, got some really attention. And at the time they had the best warranty. I remember back in the day when I was selling cars, they had a 10 year, 100,000 mile warranty for the powertrain. That's unprecedented good of a warranty. Now they use those things to help bolster the reliability of the brand. They did increase the reliability of the cars, of course, as well. And they became a very reputable car company with Kia Hyundai. They're the same company, but with all these recalls and all these issues, let me know in the comments. I can't help but think the quality of them are going down and I don't know if they need new leadership or what it's going to take, but to have all these issues damaging what was a pretty good brand. And now you have something where it's as simple as a little piece of plastic cracking that is supposed to be something that's in, you know, a vital safety thing where you, get, you want that to be secure. I gotta say that's, that's certainly the business blunder of the day. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in again. Also trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of September. I know it's a tall order, but if you click that button, I would greatly appreciate it. Also, don't forget to take the time to like and comment. The feedback is greatly appreciated, especially the critical feedback as I try to make the show better and better, and as well as try to improve myself more and more to make the show an experience more pleasurable for the user and the fans. Also, don't forget to take the time to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone, just stay safe and fight the good fight.